Roleplaying Public Radio. Uh, I'm Russ Payton, and with me is Tom Church and Mr. Yep. Adam Scott Glancy for RPPR episode 95, Historical Histronics. And so uh, this special... This episode... does that every time. Yes. That uh, line. It... <laughs> uh, and so with this episode, uh, we're going on Skype uh, to bring in Mr. Scott Glancy uh, to talk about researching in, uh, for games, especially historical games. And uh, so, because who, who better to talk to than the master himself of historical uh clearly you couldn't get ken height so i will i will be more than happy to fill it in i'm trying i'm trying to help and you just you just throw that away I, I, you are the I, one you just, you just if, if i may if i may easy. quote yeah. may i quote dirty harry a man's gotta know his limitations <laughs> and i you know I, I i swing a good second uh second banana to ken height that man's it's really right. unfair comparing yourself to kenneth height i mean like well yeah yeah you're exactly yeah, that's right. well, let's be but you, mortals uh, you always know if you fired six shots or only five yeah <laughs> uh so uh first off though before we get into that uh we have some news uh first off we have a new uh design and a new banner for the rppr actual play podcast website uh our banner was created by none other than the web comic artist extraordinaire casey green uh and it shows uh and we we've I've reorganized things a little bit uh the characters just for the record are quotes from from left to right quote from no evil ghost robot from the heroes of new arcadia uh then uh bartleby from uh no evil and then on the in the middle we have a little portal to the fantasy realm with the one at the gripply and then uh uh next we have pontifex from the new world campaign caleb's of course scary marionette man from uh bryson springs and then the rppr dragon uh so that's that that's for the record i've also created a web uh, page on the RPPR site or AP site called the Campaign Index, which lists all of our campaign pages. So you can just go there and click and then get a link to all the no evil episodes or whatever you want. Uh, so, yay, I finally redesigned the website. It only took three it's, years. So It's quite fetching. Yes, thank you. Yes. It's very uh, nice, Ross. It's very nice. Uh, so uh, I will be using that until the end of time because uh, it took forever. And uh, it's still not 100% perfect. Uh, it's not totally playing nice with the. Uh, podcast banner th- or plug-in because the play things are weirdly configured. Yeah. Anyways. We'll my- change it again after the next evolutionary epoch. Apparent, yeah, or Mayan a- a- age. Uh, so, uh, next up uh, we have... Yeah, isn't there isn't there a uh, some sort of Viking calendar that's about to run out that everyone's going to pull their hair about for five minutes? Because the Viking... Oh, there is, Rag- that's awesome. I want to learn. <laughs> you yeah. immediately Make if there's Ragnarok. Yeah. Is- <laughs> hey, uh, maybe this one will be the one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, we can only hope because I've got an enormous amount of credit card debt, and uh, there's <laughs> nothing I for Americans. Woo. And if the world ends and you still owe money on your credit card, you win. Except student loans, then they, those don't ever go away. So no, 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 they do not. Outside, of, not. outside of the embrace of sweet death. Uh, so uh, next, we have some new content for the Base Raiders website. By the time this episode is posted, there will be a character creation. Sally, from- I said, I said, Freddie Mae and Fanny Mac. I must correct myself. It's Sally Mae. It's all these. Who are I don't know who all these Mays are, but they they clearly have all our debt. I think they're they're in laws of Big Brother. I mean, yeah, that's like cousins or one something. big old family Panopticon total <laughs> dystopian. Uh, so 
New content for the Base, Raider, Base Raiders website, uh, character creation survival guide, new fiction, uh, new strange skills. Uh, there's going to be a form-fillable character sheet uh, thanks to, uh, I think, username Rusty Bucket on the RPPR forums who created that. Uh, and so lots of great stuff. Also, Task Force Darknet, the bonus adventure that certain Kickstarter backers will get, is in playtesting. We'll be playtesting it soon uh, with the RPPR group, and that's going to go out. Uh, we have – it includes photo handouts as part of it, and Aaron was kind enough to play – pose as the superpower – super soldier drug dealer. Uh, so that was under FBI surveillance for this adventure so uh you can look forward to that and the friendliest looking drug dealer ever well that that's kind of you don't want like the big scary guy to be the drug dealer because that's kind of obvious you want to yeah, first of all it chases off the customers yeah exactly yeah. a lot of these tweakers are jumpy and yeah. you want to you want them to feel welcome while they give you their hard stolen money too. and to be honest who's going to find the basis first it's not going to be the drug professional criminals it's going to be the superhero the nerds who know all the trivia about the superheroes and know how to you know they're the ones who are going to find the basis first and they'll start selling their drugs so they can you know and we're the old school drug dealers just lamenting like man remember the way things used to be <laughs> murder and Criminal cartels. Oh, man, that was great. Uh, so anyway, um, so that's it for RPPR. Uh, Scott, what, what's going on with Pagan? Oh, God. Pagan is completely, <laughs> completely buried in Delta Green right now. Um, I, as the, again, the only legionnaire surviving at Fort Zinderhoof, um, I, uh, I have all the hats. And right now, the only hat I can wear is write more Delta Green. So if Shane Ivey is listening to this, please be aware that I have been I have been using uh, National Novel Writing Month in an attempt to crank out about uh, sixty thousand words of uh, of new Delta Green material. Uh, more like thirty five thousand words, but you know I'll I'll take what I can get. This last weekend is the is the big final push. I'm hoping to get um, uh, a couple things back to Shane and get it all done by the end of December. Um, is my goal. Uh, but the result is, is that everything else, I, I am, I am, uh, uh, an absolute, uh, shit at trying to multitask. So I am not getting anything else done except write Delta green, write Delta green, and then followed up by some writing of Delta green. So. No, I, I know what you mean. Yeah. I mean, you I are wanted... eating food, I hope, right? Uh, uh, my wife brings in like, uh, you know, uh, 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 changes my catheter and uh, changes my feeding tube. Um, <laughs> and because, uh, you know, she loves me. Spouse uh, is great. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, uh, so <laughs> changes changes my bag and then, you know, I'm good to go. Uh, so, yeah, that's how that's working out. Um, uh, yeah, the the. the uh, uh, food. Oh no. Well, you know, I shouldn't say. I shouldn't totally uh, poo-poo food. Uh, this week was uh, uh, we uh, we went and, uh, and had Thanksgivingka combination Thanksgiving Hanukkah uh, with some of the guys from Hairbrain Schemes, the guys who made the uh, the new um, uh, Shadowrun game and Gollum Arcana. The yeah, uh, and working on Gollum Arcana. Yeah, and uh, uh, we're regaled by Mr. Mitchell Gittleman uh, with tales of uh, uh, how Herschel saved Hanukkah. This is a fabulous book about this uh, rabbi named Herschel who saves Hanukkah from goblins. I I think perhaps what they meant were goyim, but uh, <laughs> or or, co- or Cossacks. But <laughs> nevertheless, he saves 
Hanukkah in a very traditionally raven, coyote spirit, you know, uh, Anansi trickster sort of way that you expect in in uh, in, in folklore and folktales. As you so, said. yeah, there was food. There was there was potato latkes until you know you wanted to explode. It was uh, it was nice. pretty damn good. Is turkey kosher? I, I never. Uh, you know, they're 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 an incredibly not kosher family. You know, they yeah. they they were not worried about the uh, about whether they mixed their uh, cheese and meat in the same product. Although I, you know, I, I can't I can't think of any immediate violations of, of Abrahamic law that took <laughs> place during the during the meal. But um, you know, uh, uh, yeah, I think I think the turkey might pass as kosher. I think is as foul. It to be doesn't. honest, yeah, my my understanding of kosher law is no pork, no shellfish. That that's about it. So yeah, uh, there's yeah. something about camels too. Yeah, well, like any, yeah. there's this weird rule. Like again, the feet are funny, so you can't eat it. Really. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's true. Yeah, there's something it's like got that. Funny feet. Well, back when trichinosis uh, or whatever that the disease that pig meat had. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that was probably a good idea. But anyway, uh, we digress, uh, which is going to be pretty much this episode. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so, um, and Ken Height, he'd stay on topic. Yeah, that's true. Uh, he would, but again, we are but mortal men. Uh, so. Uh, the inspiration for this episode came from the comments of the latest uh, glancy uh, actual play, uh, Iron, The Iron Devil, where people uh, were clamoring for us and uh, uh, Scott to talk about history. So I thought uh, – so I mentioned this to Scott, and he started men- – I mentioned Cold Dead Hand since we had playtested that for the Unspeakable Oath, and you can listen to that playtest on the Unspeakable website. Um, and he meant you mentioned that you did a lot of research for that, including going to a missile silo. So I, I like – Talk us through like where the idea for this scenario came from, and like what kind of research you did for that, because that's I, I'm dying to know. Well, okay. Um, the thing that the, the the first thing I suppose that happened uh, was there was this there was this thing called the Cold War, which I was banking <laughs> on was going to provide me employment uh, for the rest of my life because it had been around you know since before I was born. Uh, clearly, it's not going to slow down. I mean, Red Dawn had just come out, so clearly this this Cold War thing was still going to be going strong. And uh, I was uh, I was in uh, c- uh, college and in uh, graduate school, um, and I had uh, you know uh, I had uh, gotten a master's degree in, in Latin American studies, so in, in history was my base degree. So I was already on my way in that department. Um, and I thought I was going to go get a bean counter job at the Central Intelligence Agency. I actually, you know, filled out the forms and went uh, and took their entry exam, which uh, was charmingly given on the weekend at a uh, at a closed Jesuit high school. For those of you who enjoy conspiracy theory, <laughs> um, the entrance exam, the, 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 it was sort of like the Foreign Service Officer Test for the yeah. State Department, um, but they gave it at a, they gave it at a Jesuit high school, uh, and then you know there was. Uh, uh, the, the recruiters came through college and uh, sent in some more, sent in this giant form where you had to list every neighbor you've ever had, and, yeah. you know, background. And eventually, you know, it got around. Uh, it was, um, you know, they got around to somewhere in um, I'm trying to think. It was like the, um, uh, you know, the, the winter of 1990, and you know, they're like, uh, okay, we're, you know, they I get this phone call and they're like, uh, come to. Uh, 
We want you to come to Reston, Virginia, to an unmarked building. Um, we're going to send you an airplane ticket. We're going to put you up at a hotel, and you're going to get some interviews. And don't tell anyone you're going. Um, and uh, they literally, you know, had the they had a, a, a you know guy standing there with a sign that says, you know. Ace Tomato Company or something that you know, so it doesn't say Central Intelligence Agency. Bunch of people got off the plane, went to the the shuttle. We were all driven to the uh, this one hotel, all checked in by a guy who didn't introduce himself, and then boom, next morning they pick us up and take us, and we all have our interviews. And I'm thinking, this is going to be great. Um, you know, I'm I, this is going to be the best thing ever. And I, you know, you know, got to see the interior, the. Uh, uh, of the uh, CIA headquarters and the the wall with all the stars, and walked around backstage a little bit, uh, uh, escorted uh, by you know um, some folks, and uh, I thought you know this is going to work out great. I mean, they paid for my airplane ticket, you know, to come up here. This is fabulous. Uh, they paid for my hotel, and then uh, you know I guess it was like spring or something, because then the summer rolls around. They're like, okay, we'll let you know about whether we're going to bring you back for a. Um, uh, a polygraph and a second set of interviews. Um, and I'm like, great. And the summer rolls around and suddenly out of the blue, it's, it's August of, you know, um, 1991 and, uh, the coup happens in Moscow and I'm sitting there watching, you know, Soviet communism unravel like a cheap sweater. And I'm, I'm thinking, Oh God, please go Stalinist coup. Come on, gun down the, you know, fire on the white house, gun down Boris Yeltsin for Christ's sake. She's standing on top of a tank. You telling me you can't hit him with a sniper shot from the Kremlin wall. Come on. He's right there. Okay. He's wobbling a little cause he's drunk, you know, but you can still take the shot, take the shot, you know, I'm, I'm oh, please. And then boom, it just all falls apart. Like it's a week and you know, every, every Republic's running for the door, you know, um, everybody's declared their independence from the Soviet Union, including Russia, right? Russia has bailed out the Soviet <laughs> Union. And I'm like, okay, this is, oh, it's, it's over. And it just all falls apart within a couple of weeks. Hi. And I trusted no, you Soviet Union. I trusted you. <laughs> And so, you know, uh, suddenly I get this call like uh, in late August after the coup and they're like, hey, uh, we're ready here at the CIA for you to come back for your um, your, your next set of interviews. I'm like, great, that's fabulous. And it's like, of course, uh, we're not playing for the airplane ticket or the hotel, <laughs> but if you'd like to come up and I'm like, oh, God, <laughs> I, I can see how this is going. Yeah. You know, they're already having the plan. Well, history's over. You know, <laughs> we can all put our shoes up on our desk and, you know, relax. It's and all McDonald's back. and Cokes from here on out. Yeah, exactly. You know, God bless America. Hardcore <laughs> so, assassin just, oh, man, jig is yes. up. <laughs> so, no, no, he just moves into the private sector. Yeah. Well, there you, you go. Know, pre presuming that, uh, you know, McDonald's and Arby's will be murdering each other's executives over the next decade. Shatter on Sa 20. Sadly, we did not go all cyberpunk 2020. <laughs> <laughs> or, or shadow run um but i'm like but i i, I still I, I was so attached to the idea i still paid for the ticket i still went up there and i still got polygraphed and i but i knew how i was going to turn out you know another few months go by and i get the letter and says you know thanks but no thanks um and of course it was because you know one of the major reasons is dummy that i am my uh my specialty was latin american studies which you know uh, looked like it was the new front line of the Cold War with the Sendero Luminoso down in uh, down in Peru and right. uh, the Sandinistas and the Contras going strong all through the 80s. Right. And um, 
you know, uh, uh, Venezuela starting to head that direction because Chavez is is uh, starting. I think he has. I think he, he tries a coup early in the '90s before he finally gets himself voted into office. But um, you know, I'm thinking that. Uh, but the problem with Latin America is that the U.S. government prefers to ignore that it exists unless there's commies. I mean, there's America's never showed any interest in Latin America uh, unless. Uh, somebody else shows some interest in Latin America, and then we get all Monroe doctriny about the whole thing. So, uh, if I had studied <clears throat> Arabic or maybe uh, Russian studies and knew some Russian, so that there can be that whole game of uh, that whole you know three card Monty with the nukes that was going on in the '90s, as the Soviets are uh, you know uh, selling off their war machine to anyone who can meet the price, you know maybe I could have uh, gotten the job. But Latin American studies, yeah, that's that's a good one, kid. You know. <laughs> So uh, I was already so the coup already annoyed me. The 1991 coup had already annoyed the hell out of me, and ruined my uh, my uh, employment plans. Um, and so uh, you know, I, I I was already sort of very interested in that. Um, I don't remember when I first heard of uh, uh, the Dead Hand, um, but the, I, I'm fairly certain that the idea for the scenario turned up before I'd heard Dead Hand. That in the earliest iterations of it. Uh, and it's been around a long time. I, I play tested this back in 99, uh, or I think it was, yeah, um, here at Pagan and, uh, you know, and revamped it a couple times since then. Um, the, uh, the, but I, I believe the original idea was, it was going to be a flat out just nuclear missile silo right. uh, rather than the perimeter thing. It wasn't until I heard about perimeter uh, as you know, the Soviets are hemorrhaging all their old secrets. Right. Um, that uh, I, I got the idea that oh wow, we can do more than just send up one missile, you know, or one uh, wing of missiles. Um, but I had started to hear things uh, like um, uh, that the Soviets uh, the Soviets didn't trust their missile crews to turn the key. Uh, they 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 had a, a backup system where they could launch. The missiles in the silos uh, from uh, Strategic Rocket Command headquarters. Um, they could be in the office or the bunker under, you know, uh, Yamanato Mountain, which is the big, crazy Soviet-era underground city in the Urals um, uh, that uh, is either still being built or, you know, maybe being added on or upgraded or something, or maybe it's just being allowed to fall into ruin like so much of the ex-Soviet materials. But Apocalypse Hilton. Yeah, uh, the, um, uh, the, 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 they had a system for launching the missiles whether the crews wanted to or not. So that idea uh, meant that, you know, I thought, well, that means you wouldn't have to have everybody in every silo turn the key. You could, you could launch a missile wing or could launch a missile from someplace else. You wouldn't have to be in the, in the, in the silo to do it. So that, that sort of got my... Uh, got me thinking. Okay, then it's possible uh, to take over like a, a, a central headquarters or a central uh, command position and launch the uh, the wing. Uh, eventually, got around to finding out about Dead Hand, and, and Dead Hand just seemed so much creepier um, yeah. uh, than a regular missile silo. Um, I remember, if you can believe this, uh, there was a there was an episode of the Greatest American Hero. With William Cat and uh, Robert Culp, and there's one episode where uh, the the problem was is that this uh, the American version of Dead Hand has been activated, 
And uh, they referred to it as the spoiled sports system, which was the idea being that, you know, there's a big nuclear exchange and the computer system would automatically hold back some percentage, like 5% of the missiles randomly in their silos, would not fire them and hold on to them for three days and hit the Soviets again while they're digging, while they're digging out of the rubble. Um, I think that was the direct quote from Robert Culp was like, you know, they're digging out of the rubble. Boom. Here's your second dose of nukes. And I thought, well, that's really creepy. And uh, (laughs) to find out that, Oh my God, this isn't, you know, this isn't a fake system, you know, that this was something that people had had actually built. And there's also some debate about whether dead hand exists. I mean, I've read things where certain Soviet officials says that it exists. Certain Soviet officials said that it exists, but it's not automated. Uh, other Soviet officials have said that, you know, it requires a crew to launch the missiles. There's no countdown. Uh, the, no, it never really existed. Um, so there's a lot of back and forth about whether, whether the system was ever deployed, whether it was ever turned on. Um, you know, but it made a good, it made a good, uh, you know, the, the, the lack of human intervention, the Dr. Strangelove aspect. Yeah. That's what I was thinking of a lot. (laughs) Uh, so really, really appealed. Yeah. So, I mean, um, and I just realized, uh, not everyone who's listening to this may have, uh, already read the scenario. So, uh, yeah. So the concept of the scenario is, um, you are, the players are all Soviet commandos who, uh, Spetsnaz, I believe. Right. Or yeah. Yep. And, um, a, what they, they were told a radar station is, uh, gone dark, you know, during a snowstorm and they need to go in there and reestablish contact. What they are not told, of course, is that it is a dead hand nuclear missile silo and that if it is not, uh, contact is not reestablished within a certain timeline, it's going to launch nukes. Uh, this is of course happening during the coup, uh, in the 1991 coup. So perfectly no chaos at all. Yeah. The other thing I remember hearing about the coup, uh, I'm reading about later was there was this thing where, um, uh, the uh, commander of the strategic rocket forces, the commander of the Soviet Red Banner Navy, and the Soviet Air Force all had a sit-down during the coup. I mean, yeah. the defense minister, Dmitry Yazov, was in on the coup, and so was Khrushchev, the uh, KGB guy, and uh, various other guys. But uh, the, the, the guys who actually were in charge of the forces that had nukes um, sat down and said— we're not giving command authorization to launch anything until we know who's in charge. We're going to set this one out. We're not going to throw our weight behind one side or another. Um, and uh, we're going to wait till something like constitutional authority emerges. Um, uh, but they're not going to give the codes or launch authorization to the, uh, was it the state committee for the state of emergency. I think it's, it's literally, that's what the, terrible soviet name for the coup was called the coup group the junta um so i like the idea that there was a period of time where you know who was in charge of the nukes was kind of unsure mm-hmm. you had three days where you know it was kind of up in the air huh. who's on first with nuclear weapons yeah uh uh-uh. So, anyways, the, uh, the yeah, the, the, I changed it a little bit. I decided that since the radar installation was uh, was going to be easily detected as not a radar installation, um, uh, and uh, I wanted to uh, in the final published version, uh, you guys played the ver- you play tested an earlier version where uh, the Soviets lie to their men a lot, and I just have them lie to the men a bunch as opposed <laughs> to a lot, um, where you're told it's a missile silo. 
that it's absolutely a missile silo and you've got to go in and stop the missile silo. And so there's this added, you know, uh, 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 incentive that, yeah, we are talking about a silo full of missiles and nobody wants to see those three missiles launched. Um, you know, but when you get down there, it's like, oh, wait, it's not going to just launch three missiles. It's going to launch hundreds of missiles. Um, but they don't want to tell you, they don't want to tell you the scale of the disaster because they're afraid you'll freeze up or panic or something or won't do your jobs. So of course, typical, you know, the Soviets downplay the danger, uh, like, go ahead, pick up that rubble. It's, it's totally not radioactive. <laughs> Put it in the pile with the other rubble. Um, so yeah, uh, you go in as commandos, uh, and, um, uh, the, the, Facility has been taken over by uh, cultists of Athaqua because, um, gee, it's up north and it's cold. And um, uh, I've always enjoyed it when the cultists don't really know what they're doing either. You know, uh, that this idea that, oh, I've read me into the Necronomicon or I've gotten some dreams from Cthulhu and now I have the inside track on everything and now all of us cultists will now operate, you know, together like a well-oiled machine. Nope. Nope. Uh, <laughs> Um, I like it when they're just as screwed up and stupid as, you know, uh, as, as everybody else. And these guys are trying to make a nuclear winter for Athaqua because they think Athaqua will like that. <laughs> they think that Athaqua wants everything to be cold, and that's not how Athaqua works at all. You know, uh, it doesn't actually it's, – it's not going to help Athaqua a lot. I mean, sure, if you – you have a nuclear war, one of the places that's going to get nuked the least is everything, you know, in the Arctic Circle. Yeah. I mean, uh, <laughs> northern Siberia, Canada, Greenland, Spitsbergen, places like that won't get plant, won't get pounded like everything around the equator, uh, everything around um, the temperate zones in the, of Europe and America. So maybe it'll maybe that will push refugees into the north, which will put them under the the geographic influence of Athaqua, but he could give a crap about what the temperature is. Um, so uh, they're trying to appease Athaqua by increasing the size of his domain, um, which will not actually work. Uh, and uh, they've done, and they, the, the other thing that I, and I don't remember where I got the idea that the, um, the cultists would be camp guards in a Soviet gulag, who having been marooned in this gulag for, you know, decades, yeah, that, I like that that concept um, because uh, spoiler alert in the in the scenario it shows that they're basically they were there to build a silo and the the Soviet security state being what it was was like well how do we keep these guys from leaking info to the West about this missile silo I know we'll just keep them there forever uh, yeah. and like is that. Uh, I mean, I'm not enough of an expert to know. Is that like something that happened on a regular basis? Did that happen at all? Well, there's, there's certainly a thing where uh, when it came to the gulag system, if you were a guard in a gulag, you know, uh, in the Chemkatka or the Chotsky Peninsula or, uh, the you know, up north of Perm or someplace like that, you weren't there because you were uh, everybody's favorite, you know, um, Czechist. You were there because – you were unpopular in some way, you know, the guards were often as stuck in these places as the prisoners were, uh, and weren't getting out. These were not plum assignments, you know? So they were exiled. Yeah. There, they were, there's, there's a lot of, if you fell out of favor. Yes. Your new job major is you get to be, you know, the commandant of camp, you know, 1407. Congratulations on your new command. We will never be seeing you again. Um, <laughs> 
And, uh, you know, so that, that idea, I mean, I knew that was true, that that happened. Um, and, uh, you know, there, I, there are a number of other creepy uh, stories that come out of the Soviet Union. Viktor Savorov, who's this guy who wrote about being in the Spetsnaz and being in uh, the GRU, uh, a lot of his stuff has to be taken with a grain of salt, but he, he told stories in his book um, uh, Inside the Aquarium that when he was going through Spetsnaz training, the Spetsnaz uh, facility was for training was next to a gulag in the Ukraine. And uh, the gulag was a place where they were uh, uh, mining uh, this kind of uh, blue cobalt clay that had a high uranium content in it. And, you know, literally the gulag prisoners are shoveling radioactive uh, clay um, with shovels and, you know, sneakers. I mean, there's, there, there's no protection. Um, it was a place that they set people who were, you know, oh, you've been sentenced to 10 years, comrade, but, you know, that's only because we didn't want to publicly sentence you to death. You'll just go to the gulag and then your death will be reported as typhus or uh, industrial accident or whatever. Um, and because of this, uh, the place was known to have periodic prisoner riots um, because people, you know, they knew it was a death sentence. And so at some point, people would just go, fuck it, I'm irradiated, my teeth are falling out, let's try and kill a guard. So there were periodic prisoner uh, riots, and the reason that they had built the Spetsnaz training facility next to it was so they would always have an opportunity for live fire exercises. Wow. That they just predicted that since there's going to be riots, we might as well have guys there, you know, get them used to shooting people. Uh, yeah, exactly. So there's that kind of creepy Soviet bullshit. <laughs> so, you know, the idea that they took the construction crew who built the gulag and just left them up north so they could For never the come. Yeah. You know, you all got the order of Lenin. So there's that. Go- you got that going for you. Um, so that that was an impossible that, that that doesn't seem like a huge stretch to me, um, uh, considering some of the other uh, nasty that has happened over the years. Um but uh, it, it evolved. I guess you know, saying where did it evolve from? I mean, um, uh, the um, so you kind of got the idea. It just came from multiple sources and just yeah. kind of just stalls process in your head, basically. Yeah, and uh, you know, it's uh, uh, King Stephen King made this joke about you know he's got a great his his brain is like a is like a uh, a sewer pipe with a grate in it, and certain things catch in his grate that maybe don't catch in other people's. And that's a lot of how, you know, some of these scenarios evolve and are created is that, you know, something catches in my grate and I go, Hmm, that would be good somewhere. Yeah. I wish I could find a place for it. And eventually enough gunk builds up that it starts to, you know, form into, you know, something like a, uh, a, a notion and an idea. And, uh, uh, it, it, it really does have kind of a, uh, a sedimentary like, process where stuff builds up in layers and layers until suddenly, you know, I can get a moment where I can see how this is going to actually be a scenario. I got you. Um, so once you had the idea, though, um, what kind of research did you – I mean, you've already mentioned you you basically just write up books, like general books on the topics, uh, and you're already broadly familiar with the, the, the subject matter, but like what kind of specific research did you do for um, the scenario? Uh, at the time when I was originally planning it, it was probably before I got to Pagan. I was, uh, it was probably 1995. Um, uh, that, you know, because again, the chaos of the coup had just happened uh, in 91. And I really liked the idea that 
there was a moment where anything was possible. You know, uh, those moments don't really happen very often in history where you literally have an, you know, all no holds barred. Anything could happen. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, all I needed to do was find a place on Earth where that anything could happen. Uh, but no one would necessarily notice it. And, you know, Siberia being a good, you know, yeah. good choice for that, northern Siberia. Um, so, uh, uh, you know, uh, the the, uh, the Internet was up and running. Um, and uh, very early on, I found some websites uh, about missile silos. Uh, there were some people who'd done this sort of urban explorer spelunking thing where they had cracked open uh, some Titan silos and taken an enormous number of pictures of the insides of these Titan silos. And so that immediately got me thinking because the, the Titans were liquid rockets. Um, they were old. They were like uh, Cuban Missile Crisis vintage and decommissioned soon afterwards. Uh, but they're massive and huge and filled with tunnels and stuff and big steel doors and, you know, sort of uh, that, that's, that sort of got me going as far as, you know, what should the, what should the facility look like? What should the uh, the base look like? Uh, it wasn't until a few years ago um, uh, that uh, my friend Jared Wallace realized that there was a Titan missile silo in um, uh, eastern Washington near a town called Odessa, go figure, um, <laughs> that uh, was owned by a guy who would give tours of it. Uh, and it was actually pretty expensive. It was like, uh, I want to say it was 200 bucks. And, um, it was supposed to be like for three hours or something, but he, he, he kept us underground for about six. He let us run around and do all kinds of stuff and, um, getting down actually into the silo. We, 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 we took a pilgrimage out there because Mr. Wallace is into all things, uh, apocalyptic. <laughs> uh, in fact, the two of us do a podcast, well, not a podcast, but a video blog that you can see on YouTube. That's all about, um, uh... all topics, uh, of post-apocalyptic called podcast at ground zero. Podcasting around here. I, yeah, I know I've seen you've uh, posted that on Facebook. I meant to keep watching it, but again, I'm well, I'm behind on every podcast. Hopefully, hopefully this Monday we're going to do another episode, the first of what I hope will be many episodes about Fallout. We finally gotten around like 10, 12 episodes in. We finally got around to talking about uh, Fallout. Um, but anyways, uh, uh, the silo is is pretty impressive. Um, it's it's really sort of I don't know. Uh, shocking in its size. It's like a battleship that they have buried in the earth. It, it's or 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 like a um, or, or like a uh, an ancient you know, like a pyramid or something. The scale is is on the scale of of the things built by the ancients, particularly the domes that the uh, uh, the um, uh, engineering and uh, command sections are. Are built into so all the material about the actual construction of the facility um, I got by going on that tour. Uh, I didn't know. I knew there were. I knew that there were springs, right? I mean, I'd known that since uh, studying about um, uh, NORAD Mountain Crystal Palace uh, Cheyenne Mountain facility that they had all these buildings in a big, you know, artificial cave supported on springs so that the shock wave of a near miss wouldn't, you know, bounce them off the walls. Uh, what I didn't realize is that everything in these silos were attached to springs, including the launch gantries, that you had a big concrete tube 
with a launch gantry for the missile. And the missile, is, that gantry is supported by gigantic springs attached to the walls. So even the whole launch facility can, can rattle around inside the, the concrete silo and still survive and be able to be launched for a counter-strike, um, depending on how close the near-miss is. Um, so the, 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 the physical features of the interior of the silo, I wouldn't have gotten that unless I'd actually gone in and stomped around uh, in the place. And that stuff was really fascinating. Of course, um, you know, this is a tight American missile silo. So uh, I assume that it was just a little too expensive to try and find a Russian uh, missile silo to go. Well, they're, 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 <laughs> there's two problems with Russian missile silos, I would think. One, I'd have to go to Russia uh, <laughs> again. And that was the thing. I'd actually been I'd actually been in Russia in 89, two years before the coup. I'd actually been there when it was still the Soviet Union. Um, I went there for a class on uh, Soviet studies. And uh, we were in Central Asia in places like Tashkent and Samarkand and Kiva and all these cities that used to be on the Silk Road uh, that the uh, Soviets have overrun. Um, the most amusing thing about that trip was when we were down in Central Asia, down near the Afghan border, it was 89, the Soviets were pulling out of Afghanistan. And so uh, there were two effects of this. One, our tour bus couldn't drive on any of the main highways because it was clogged with tanks. <laughs> and they didn't want, and they didn't want the American spies slash tourists looking at the tanks. Uh, the other thing was they wouldn't let us fly during the daytime hours. Any foreigners had to take nighttime flights, so you couldn't look down and see that the roads <laughs> were clogged with Soviet tanks. So every aircraft we got on in Central Asia took off after dark and landed before dawn. Um, uh, anyways, um, uh, so I'd had a peek at the at, at, at the USSR before it stopped being the USSR. Uh, so the first problem is, you know, okay, you know, I, I, I don't doubt now that there's going to be some guy named, you know, Pavel who will be more than happy to, ah, Pavel's, uh, you know, missile silo tool, come inside. <laughs> the, the thing is, though, what I expect for them is that they've, they've done nothing to clean up the spilled rocket fuel that's all over the place, and it's a toxic soup, you know. So if you go in, uh, you, you're, you're breathing in things that are going to give you cancer tomorrow. It builds and, character. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> toughens you up, you know, uh, like good Russian, you know. And so I, I didn't I didn't wanna, I wouldn't want to do that. I just feel like they'd be, you know, these terrible toxic waste dumps. And certainly the guy who owned the silo in Washington went out of his way to explain about how much the silo had been cleaned up, that they had been through several times state and federal uh, cleanup crews um, to uh, clean up some stuff. And uh, there was a there was a there was a section of the silo where everything was blackened. It was this one tunnel. Everything was blackened. And there was, the reason was, is before he bought it, uh, the Park Service was using the, uh, some of the fuel tanks in the silo as a fuel storage facility uh, for their use. And uh, apparently the, the silo had been broken into multiple times by people who, you know, went down. So it's all filled with like, you know, uh, devil worship, um, you know, heavy metal, uh, retard sort of, uh, graffiti all over the walls. And apparently some of these guys decided it would be funny to try and light the gasoline on fire in an enclosed underground space, because that would be cool. 
and they blew themselves up. <laughs> um, you know, the walls are all scorched. The Ooh. you know the the, uh, the 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 place is all blackened. Um, the tanks ruptured. And it was a big tank. It was like a propane tank sized tank. It wasn't you know, the rocket fuel tanks. It was a backup tank for uh, some of the other generators down there. But yeah, they blew themselves up doing that. So you know. Dumb isn't just a Russian thing, kids. Uh, <laughs> everybody's got it. Yeah. Uh, so that was that. If I hadn't gone to the silo, I wouldn't have learned about the uh, the awesome thing about the escape hatch, which is the there's an escape hatch, mm-hmm. and there's a lever to open the escape hatch on the wall, but it's like ten feet away from the escape hatch because when you open it, the tunnel to the surface is filled with gravel. It's like this three story tunnel filled with gravel. So that you can't open the escape hatch on the on the surface and sneak in. Oh, I got you. Nice. So yeah. the escape hatch is in the ceiling, and the hatch opens like a trap door, and three stories where the gravel pours out and makes a pile. Oddly enough, a pile. So now you can reach the escape hatch easily. There's no ladder that comes down. And the ladder's up the tube. Uh, but but it, it makes this pile, and you scramble up that to get out. And I'm like, you know, I think I put it in the final version, something about any players who managed to uh, sucker a uh, uh, a child of the Wendigo to stand under the escape hatch <laughs> so they can pull Death the trap. Nice. You know, uh, they, they get an extra experience point. That'll be I got you. I got you. Um, so, I mean, just seeing this, you can see, that, you know, there's obviously a lot of different ways you can do researching for a game and um thank god for the internet yeah thank god for the internet that that is kind of a, a, a godsend for uh research for these kind of games um so but i mean that's not the only approach so tom uh wrote another scenario that uh, that has been on the podcast called uh divine fire he also did bell island uh which are both historical games set in the world war ii era uh i know uh scott you're familiar with divine fire since you've run uh, an adaptation of it uh for the modern age uh tom what kind of things did you do for researching and preparing for i mean where did the idea come for divine fire uh well actually it came from uh the first time was i had just finished watching um in the Mouth of Madness. Okay. And I really liked. That's a good those, start. Yeah. yeah. And I loved the I loved just the just horrible mutated monsters in that that were mm. once people that 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 really appealed to me. Right. So I thought you know I'm gonna you, know, you I'm and your gonna, damn body horror. <laughs> I know I I I have a problem I have a serious problem. <laughs> but um so I thought I, I got to I want to do a game with that. But of course it was like fine you know. You know, finding the right way to do it because there's so many different ways it could be done. Right. And um, I like the idea of making it. I kind of then thought of the idea of making it like a cancer form of of a certain kind of radiation. Mm-hmm. And so then it, it, uh, it just that kind of formed into the idea of a a, a nuclear a Nazi nuclear reactor that produces radiation that doesn't do anything as lovely as kill you. <laughs> Not you're that. not going to be that lucky. No, no, you're not. And so, you know, I, I, I that, that's so. Then I, I, once I got that done, then I, then I had to think about, all right, you know, where would they, like, how would they be doing it? And uh, I, 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 want, I was going to go, I was going to go with they were doing it to, uh, at for, you know, exclusively to maybe create 
you know, biological weapons they could throw at the allies. Okay, uh, yeah, so the for Divine Fire, uh, I mm-hmm. should mention the concept of the scenario, is that uh, there, there, there are multiple versions, but the final yeah, one yeah, was... We're, we're talking like, yeah. uh, we just presume everybody's read our stuff because we're yeah. so awesome. We don't have to explain to you what the scenario <laughs> is, you know. My ego demands that, yes. Uh, <laughs> fair enough. Uh, but uh, for those unfortunate souls who have not listened to Divine Fire, uh, the, the idea is that there is a Nazi science camp um, in the middle of nowhere, uh, up on the mountain somewhere, uh, you'll have to fill in the details, Tom, uh, where they're basically making an Azathoth-powered nuclear weapon or nuclear reactor, uh, and the players are soldiers or prison laborers, uh, concentration camp laborers who are sent there to be, you know, fodder for the program. And uh, But, of course, by the time they get there, the, the place has basically been... Uh, well, the civil, it, it is broken down. It is, uh, most of the people are dead or insane and the characters have it's, to be, it's, it's pulled an umbrella. Yeah. It's pulled an umbrella. Corporation. Yeah, it, yeah. Yeah. It's a very resident evil kind of setup and they have to survive. Of course, there's a snowstorm. They can't just walk away and there's, there's which is very important when you're designing a scenario, because there's always going to be that one player who takes like, the oh. very rational approach of going, fuck it. We're going. Yeah, motivation yeah, is very important. Yes, like, yeah. If you give play, like most players will take, you know, uh, water rolls downhill. Like they'll take the path of least resistance, uh, unless they unless they have a compelling reason not to. So you need to. So that's yeah, that that is a good point. Um, so they're there, and, and, and the, that yeah. it's kind of a sandbox thing. The players can go wherever they want within the confines of the camp, and try and figure out what they want to do. And so Tom, and sorry, so continue on. So, uh, well, so I, I deciding that, you know, it was like this would have been something they stumbled across by accident. It's something in later I had that they were using like physics uh, equations found on documents that dated back to like ancient Greece. Right. And they said and I, one scientist was a Nazi scientist was convinced this was a this was a way to produce what, you know, uranium to make their own nuclear weapon. Right. I mean, this is yeah, kind of the common mixture, kind of common trope in Lovecrafting horrors, the mixing of, you know, hypergeometry slash magic with science. Well, speak, speaking of John Carpenter, I, I'm sure every Lovecraftian fan had a little rush of pleasure when uh, in uh, Prince of Darkness, they're uh, they're finding differential equations in oh, yeah. the uh, in the uh, a book written in Aramaic. You know, yeah. and you're like, uh, but they didn't have. No, no, they really didn't. And there's no response. We're like, you know, that's Aramaic in uh, differential equations. OK, just turn around and leave the room. <laughs> I can't. Uh, it, and uh, then there's the great line later on in Prince of Darkness. I also was like, even your god plutonium won't save you. Yes, now. not your god plutonium <laughs> will not save you. I mean, yeah. Like Prince of Darkness is a uh, classic example, giving a little the version of a movie with grander ideas like it, it had great it a grand ambition it didn't quite live up to it but like i mean you see it, it's so rare to see i mean i I prefer movies that attempt something grand like that than and kind of screw it up rather than stuff that like they have safe so, they, well yeah it's formulaic so kudos for carpenter for that that is one of my favorite carpenter movies uh but anyway um what what so you had the idea, basically, getting pulling. Fr- so, it, it, were you kind of going? Did you kind of go with the sewer grate metaphor, where you had a bunch of ideas and they just kind of coalesced into that, or did you start with it? Did you feel like it was more one specific idea that you really wanted to, to seize on the the? Monster? I started with the monster first. Okay, the monster first, and then you you built up on that. 
yeah, I built up on that and essentially decided to go with it's kind of like cancer. Okay, so no, I, I just realized that I started with the setting first. Yeah. I, I I started with the silo, yeah, the underground, the isolated base first, yeah, and then sort of built around that. And um, also not just the place, but the time too, because yeah, 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 uh, the coup was obviously very uh, important in the scenario and. Um, so for you, Tom, uh, for in terms of researching this, uh, once once you decided that you wanted to do it in this Nazi, you know, science base mm-hmm. camp, whatever you want to call it, like what did you do to to research it? Like what what? Well, what also first, like yeah, I had to choose the setting as well, yeah, and the time, and I just I thought it'd be best to do it like like December of forty four before the Battle of the Bulge, where it's you know they're they're planning like you know the the offensives that's that's going to save the save the uh, the fatherland. Okay, so you still want them in? So that was important in the sense that uh, so I, wanted the, the Nazis to have it to to be like oh this is our last chance to turn yeah which around. is why so I could have like this like, they were really trying to rush this project. Yeah, mm, so yeah, I mean normally if you had plenty if it was this was like the Nazis during their you know like forty to like forty one and forty two where they were just kicking ass all over the place there wouldn't be quite the uh, urgency. Uh, or the or the the the, the maniacal risk taking, or you know, yeah. banking on something that is, you know, a pipe dream. It's like we're gonna, you know, they they have to be desperate before they start fiddling around with. We're just gonna punch a hole in this dimension. Yeah, you know, it'll work out. Um, sure, there are risks, but we're just gonna punch a hole. Yeah, in the As universe. A, now. Yeah, and the setting. I just I looked around at topographical maps of Germany. Like, all right, there's some mountain ranges. Which ones do I want to throw them in? Were you using Google Maps or a real? I assume or what? Yeah, what? Google. I use yeah. Google Maps. For of that. course. Uh, and yeah, and that, that the whole like, fuck it, we're gonna punch a hole in the universe. It's kind of a very Nazi thing to do. Like, yeah, where it's what it's what we want. Fuck everyone else. Like that 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 yeah. kind of. Makes it's sense. Yeah, along the line, and it's also even at this point, there the shipping. Yeah, the shipping of prisoners is still going strong. Yeah. Because so again. Priorities. Priorities. Yeah. <laughs> those those guys had their priorities straight. <laughs> yeah. So it's still still you know, even though it's it's desperate, but there's still plenty of ways to get prisoners from the camps. So I mean, I had to take all that into account. Okay. Um, all right. So once you so you came with the idea. Um, aside from once you what you just picked a good looking mountain range, basically some place that looks. Yeah, I forget which one, but it was. Yeah. You, you haven't uh, read that, that one. <laughs> All right, uh, not quite as precise, uh, but I mean that, I've done that well, too. Sometimes, you know. sometimes a name jumps out on the map, where you see something like you know, yeah. uh, the Devil's Hole, and you're like, "That's the name of a lake." Well, that's the lake we're using because. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure uh, there was something like that, but that was a while ago. All right. Um, so, do you remember doing any other particular research? Oh yeah. Well, for, yeah. First of all, I uh, I had to re I had to research all the equipment, weapons, uniforms that would be on this base. Okay. And what'd you use for that? Like Osprey, their, their books or what? Uh, yeah, I use some of those books. I actually have a lot of, a lot of, uh, world war two hardware books. <laughs> okay. Imagine that. I, yeah, I have those. Okay. So the props, you had the props covered. It's the same thing with me after, after playing twilight 2000 in the 1980s, I had all the Soviet 
gear books I could possibly, all the gear porn I could possibly want for the scenario. Yeah, hey, I was up. Yeah, I was up to my elbows and like you know, Schmeisser submachine guns, Luger's. Okay, I mean that that's kind of a, a thing too. Is like use resources you already have. So if you have a yeah. library reflecting a particular uh, interest, it it go. You know, you're well to use it. Like uh, I'm looking over here in my room. I've got literally five bookshelves. Uh, uh, sorry, uh, sorry, uh, six bookshelves of stuff that's really just research material. It's just books on history. Um, you know, uh, 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 you know, uh, uh, treatises on you know UFOlogy, uh, the supernatural, uh, archaeology, folklore. Um, military hardware, you know, and this stuff accrues, like, you know, it builds up over, you know, over the years and, you know, um, you, 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 you build up enough of that. And, uh, again, it's that sewer grate thing, you know, stuff, stuff, stuff that you picked up during the course of your life is just going to accrue into, uh, story gems eventually one hopes. Um, yeah, yeah I mean, that's true. Uh, uh, so, uh, and I'll get into that a little bit when I talk a little bit some, doing research for a uh, campaign that's currently going on RPPR right now, the Tribes of Tokyo. But, uh, Tom, was there anything else you wanted to mention about uh, researching and preparing for Divine Fire? I know, obviously, a lot of the scenario writing came from Playtest Revision, which also, I think, applies yeah, to Yeah, like the first version, they were playing a squad of German soldiers come to, coming to investigate yeah. why they lost contact. But in that one, you know, everyone was started out armed and in a cohesive unit. Yeah. Yeah. Which didn't work for me. Right. Uh, you know, there's too much teamwork and shit. <laughs> well, it's also the, the the typical thing with military games is like, who's the officer? Is it an NPC? In which case, all the players have to take orders or disobey. If it's another player, then the, there's that weird dynamic where play. You know, if you get a dick who's the 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 officer's like, go on, Joe, go uh, go uh, check They'll out the. Go find the sniper. Yeah. <laughs> like that, that could be very unfun. So if everyone's more on an equal footing, like the prisoners well, with, with yeah. pre-gens, you know, with, with a con game and pre-gens that, that really isn't, that really isn't so bad sometimes. Yeah. You know, um, uh, and, and certainly it can work in a survival horror style scenario. Um, but, uh, you know, if you, um, it's, it's tough, um, I, I realize everyone's, you know, tooled up, but I think, you know, when, in, in, in uh, uh, in uh, what do you call it? Um, Cold dead hand. Gee, I can't remember the name of my scenario. <laughs> um, the players are like, "Yeah, you get flamethrowers and rocket propelled grenade launchers and uh, KPV machine guns and armored tracked vehicles." And you know, everybody I know who's a like experienced Call of Cthulhu player is reading this is like, "Oh, good, none of this shit's gonna work." <laughs> I mean, that yeah. was their signal that none of this shit was gonna work is that they had all of it. They had every you know toy that. Uh, you know the player characters have ever asked for, and it was presented right at the beginning. It's like, okay, we're fucked. And yeah. you know, it's the same thing for Night Mall, Ross. When you like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, pick whatever guns you want. Like, hey, can I have a like an M4 carbine with an M203 clipped on? Like, yeah, like, ah, uh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, but that that's another sort of issue. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, that that's kind of a metagaming thing. But uh, that's kind of yeah. just a fun. Like, and the great thing is, the Nazis are so great to to do that shit with. Yeah. Ex, you well, know, exploring things they shouldn't. 
Yeah. At least with the, the with having players who are playing Nazis, you don't have to have any guilt when they're horribly, you know, eaten <laughs> by the monsters. You know, they're crunch all you want sort of scenario. Well, like, the, the players were German army. The, uh, the, the guards of the base were SS. Yeah. yeah. Well, hey, where were they in 1933 when Hitler was running for office? Did they vote for them? Did they vote for Mr. Hitler? Yeah. You know, <laughs> did they were they actively shooting Nazis? No. Then they're part of the problem. <laughs> <laughs> They can, they can burn with the rest. <laughs> uh, fair enough. Um, so, uh, so to bring back uh, in again, talking about uh, the research. Um, so I ran a campaign this summer uh, using Knights Black Agent, which is a great game. Uh, I should give it a try sometime, uh, Scott. It's it's very uh, tactical. Uh, anyways, and the, the basic concept with the players were freelance espionage agents, uh, uh, you know, private contractors, basically, who found got uh, a rive of vampire conspiracy in tokyo modern day tokyo and uh have to they decide that they have to they're cut off from their employer and they have to basically stop the conspiracy uh or their the conspiracy will find that you know they they know too much they have to stop them and uh for me i know the inspiration came from uh a, actually i know spe- the, the the genesis of this actually came from a post uh, in the Delta Green email list, I knew I knew under, wanted to run Knights Black Agents, but I didn't want to use the default like Europe European material. I, I, have, a, I have a file on my computer where I, anytime somebody poops out a, a interesting idea for Delta Green or just throws something out on the Delta Green mailing list, I just go ahead and slide that email over to that file and go, "Yep, okay, it's public domain now." <laughs> yeah, uh, I know. Yeah, I know what you mean. There, there's. Uh, I, I uh, thank Gmail that I can go through the archives of Delta Green and just like, uh, what was that little thing? Oh, there it is. Yeah. Um, so for me, that, that that and I will, I'm not going to link, say what the post was because I don't want listen, you know, RPPR fans to like go on the Delta Green email list archives and spoil themselves because there's still a couple episodes left to be posted. But anyways, that specific post uh, was a big inspiration for it, and. Then uh, I'd also at that time when I was prepping for the campaign, I had just finished a book called Speed Tribes. And Speed Tribes is a book uh, about Japanese subcultures and uh, uh, youth cultures in Tokyo during the 90s. And it specifically talks not just about like – it talks about like the Bosuzuko, which are the motor- motorcycle street gangs. Uh, that teenagers were very popular. They're actually very not nearly as popular as they used to be. They're, they're, well, yeah, that's why we see them in that's what we see them in uh, Akira's because that shit was never going to go out of style. Right, but yeah. like in 2012, there's like only apparently like a couple thousand left. They're they're kind of a dying breed. Uh, but there's uh, and there there you know there's of course the otaku, you know the the uber nerds, and uh, then there's the party goers, the club kids, and I, I like that image of it. So I started incorporating, and then of course the ultra right wing nationalist fanatics. Uh, there's actually a whole cha- a chapter in Speed Tribes about this guy Ozaki who has his own little right wing. Uh, political group and they they like do petty crimes for money and stuff like that but he's really hardcore and purist and a lot of these right-wing groups are just basically leg breakers for the for the yakuza uh and they're very corrupt in that sense that they they're only they only pose as ultra-nationalist you know but they'll always take money jobs for money like and but ozaki this get this one guy is like no we'll be pure we're not going to deal with the yakuza fuck that we're just going to be pure you know nationalist and then he gets like kicked out of his own group because he's not <laughs> there's no money in it yeah they're, they're just like fuck it we're gonna we're just gonna do you know grunt work for the yakuza because that's more profitable like 
it's, it's just they're just posing as it, which I, I found great. So um, those are the specific examples that I, I, I drew from primarily. Um, and then, like in terms of research I did for the, the campaign, uh, aside from reading that book and reading a lot of other – like I've done work – I've read – I've actually – going back to the library thing, I have like four or five books on the Yakuza. Uh, so I could figure out the, the, the sort of hierarchy. Uh, plus I have like the series of movies called uh, Battles of uh, Without Honor or Humanity, which are like – there's six we films. Have, made. Still have a, we all have that piece of music. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but the, this was the original. Like, there were six movies. They're considered like the Japanese Godfather. They were made like the '60s or '70s, and they, they go over like the rise of the uh, Hiroshima Mafia or Yakuza uh, from like af- right after World War II to like the '60s, and they're just like hard to follow because there's like. 12 different groups of them and they're all killing each other and uh, allying with each other and betraying each other show up five minutes later yeah. they've been sliced into sushi and you know there's like a huge flow chart that comes with that box set that like tries to explain like <laughs> here's who this guy is loyal to here's this guy this this guy hates this guy and these guys hate these guys and but i love i love that kind of theme for it and so I, I, I incorporated that kind of uh you know a lot of the the sleazy underworld of tokyo uh <laughs> Yeah. things catching your drain you had already done a scenario set in uh amongst the uh yakuza set in uh u.s occupied japan in the 50s uh clearly yeah. you this is the, and this is because you read the book what was it crime incorporated uh no i haven't read i've uh, i actually have that on my <laughs> wish list uh oh, but okay. I, I i'm i'm aware of that that's written by the uh, uh adelstein the 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 american yeah. reporter who stayed there for like over a year uh i've read segments of it that have been posted like on slate uh but there, i've like i said i've got like four books four or five books on the mafia or yakuza uh that i i used as reference material uh but yeah like that that's definitely what i want to read like, uh, did, hey Ross, did, like, did you have to like make sure to research stuff because you knew that there's a good portion of our group that knew nothing about Japan? Yeah, that was the that was the thing that I guess that's kind of one of the things that I ran into is like uh, because I placed it in a foreign country where everyone has you know a foreign unfamiliar name uh, and a lot of and I've tried I even did research on using Google Maps uh, and Wikipedia to like what are the wards of Tokyo. Uh, is this in Shinjuku district? Is this in, you know, uh, uh, Ninta or uh, uh, so on and so forth? I, I, I can't <laughs> recommend going there and taking a look at the place because I, I've yeah. done that. I had a friend who was stationed in Japan. Uh, Camp Zama and I uh, actually went to Tokyo in the general vicinity. And there's – that sprawl is really amazing. There's no breaks between the municipalities. You know no. what I mean? Uh, it's, uh, have you been to Japan? Has anybody? Yes, been I've been. Uh, okay. So I... then you can, you confirm the fact that there oh, are yeah. no breaks. Uh, but let me throw this out. I just have to. So you went to the Ginza, right? Uh, yes. Okay. And it's, it's like five different Las Vegas strips crammed together. <laughs> That's right? a good way of looking All at it. All the yeah. You go from one Las Vegas, or it's like a series of times squares. You go yeah. from one to another. Yeah. The, the thing that I always remember is my grandfather telling me about how when he was in Japan in the 1920s, that road was a corduroy road. Wow. That the street wasn't paved. It was one of those split log streets, what they called corduroy roads. Yeah. And the sidewalks were like the, 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 the boardwalk were boardwalks. They were like, it was like wild West, you know, wooden boardwalks along the, that was the world he was in. Uh, and now the, you know, and, and 
clearly we bombed it flat and you know in 44 and 45 yeah the fire uh, bombing come, certainly yeah and you come back and uh yeah it's it's six or seven las vegas is smashed together um uh kind of an amazing transformation but anyways i just there's my well there's i mean that, that was actually another diverge. thing because uh, uh one of my concerns was actually the speed tribes was written in the 90s and i wanted to make sure i didn't want to like set the game in the 90s because i wanted to have like modern gadgets and spy tech and that kind of thing uh but and I McAfee. Did, but i didn't yeah and McAfee, which uh, uh uh we actually put him in as an npc in the campaign uh as a contact and weapons dealer for the players uh the 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 antivirus billionaire who was well, that, that whack job yes from, who yeah. murdered the guy down and was it uh, belize Coaster? i think uh, belize? Yeah, yes okay yes he was the, he was the their weapon their weapons guy uh <laughs> God damn it. yeah it was pretty awesome um uh was he surrounded by underage girls because that's another one of his heavily shrewd. armed of course uh heavily armed underage girls. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, he, yeah he was he was doing target shooting off of the top of the skyscraper hotel in tokyo <laughs> Because how else would he? How else would he roll? Uh, yeah. So, uh, so I wanted to make sure that it was like I didn't want to like make. And it was like for me, I know it's just a personal thing that the, the players wouldn't care if like I put in hordes of Bosuzuku uh, or made it you know like '90s subculture, but within is set in 2013. Yeah, if you just, if you cribbed all your notes from Black Rain, they'd be fine. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> God, I saw that movie. Yep. Oh. Man. You, you made the rain brack. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> like they, they were wondering why you let Sato go. Um, oh, Michael Douglas. Yes. Uh, but so what I did do is to go online and I actually looked up. There's a lot of uh, Japanese like websites that talk about like, hey, well, here's I just looked up like Bosuzuku in like 2013, 2012 and just read like hey, they arrested these people here. They did this and they did that. So I like they're still around. There's just not as many of them as there were in the 90s. And uh, I also found like nightclubs, districts, sleazy bars in Tokyo. And like I found websites that was oh, here are the craziest places to go in Japan, in Tokyo. And like just tourist websites and uh, you know, like all those like traveling guides. And they were actually really useful. Like there was like un- 100 unusual places to go to in Tokyo. Otherwise just, known as yeah. 100 u- unusual places to have firefights. Pretty much. Yeah. And uh, then like there's one district, I think it's the Harajuku, where like the bars are literally just like one room a piece and they're in these small cramped buildings. And there's like in a four block area, there's like 300 bars and they're just <laughs> all stacked up on each other and they're all sleazy and they're all Yakuza fronts. And they like try to scam tourists like, oh, they, here, have a beer. How much is that? 5,000 yen. Pay us or we'll beat the crap out of you. You know, like you want girl or, you know, uh, that kind of thing. And. Um, so that was, that helped, uh, layer. And the, the only other inspiration that I knew was like, this is, uh, I have an interest in weird architecture and I'd long been aware of this thing called G cans, which was this massive storm drain system set up to protect Tokyo in case of like tsunami. And so if you type in G cans, uh, Tokyo, you come up with this, uh, you, you see photos of it and it's absolutely like, it's like over a hundred feet tall for some of these, like rooms in these chambers uh and so like there was a big firefight it's, it's built on a pyramid of egypt scale yeah uh here i'll send you i'll send you guys links so you can take a look at images of it uh but it is absolutely insane and uh, of course i had to put i i my only regret is that i could only put one firefight in there uh <laughs> well you yeah. tell me there wasn't a motorcycle chase inside 
Uh, there was on. it was it was an attempted like uh, exchange of a hostage uh, that turned into oh, yeah excellent. yeah. So the witch failed horribly, and then you know snipers and gunfire and rappelling. And uh, so if you look at that link I sent, you can get a sense of the look. So for me, like. Um, yeah, I think I might, I mean, I don't, I, I'm proud that I, I, I tried to make it like authentic in the sense that it, aside from the vampires bit and the whole getting guns and like, and explosives in Tokyo, like it, it, it was mostly a Tokyo that like almost exists. Like it, it, it more or less, it wasn't like massively incongruous, you know, it wasn't, um, like I didn't have samurai or whatever running around or anything, you know, to- totally ana- anachronistic about that. You uh, did have time travel to a far future. <laughs> well, yes, but that was part of the vampires. And wow, yeah. I'm going to go ahead and say uh, this: this makes the um, the uh, the sewers of Constantine under uh, Ist- uh, under Constantinople. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. The cisterns of Istanbul. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this yeah. is yeah, very modern, very. I mean, it's meant to, yeah, yeah, protect them against tsunamis and you know, massive, massive amounts of water. So uh, you can actually take tours of it, but you have to be able to speak Japanese or have a translator or something because, like, in case they need to give emergency instructions, they need to tell you where to go and you know, so you don't drown or whatever. <laughs> Just, uh, yes, uh, you gajin, stay here. Yeah. <laughs> um, so for me, that was sort of like, yeah, uh, 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 my my process for it is I, I had a specific in you know spark uh, a source and like i got to use this and it sort of went from there um but in terms of and in terms of research i drew for my own materials and just yeah using the internet uh but like not just google maps but just like sort of tourist websites and and that kind of thing so i think uh there's a lot of non-obvious sources for doing research not just like primary historical documents or you know professional guides like the osprey some of the, guy. Yeah. Some, of the some of the primary historical documents have gotten are, are, are getting easier to find because they're turning up on things like um, uh, there's a few things I used uh, to research um, uh, the Iron Devil uh, uh, that I found as prim- as documents on um, oh shoot what's the site Gutenberg oh yeah know, where they reprint stuff that's out of print um, oddly enough uh, there's a guy named the, the commander of US forces in Siberia uh, at the, the, you, when you guys played Iron Devils, a guy named Robert uh, Graves, I believe. Yeah. And General Graves, after he retired from the military in the 30s, wrote a kiss and tell uh, book that criticized U.S. policy and the U.S. expedition to Siberia. Um, and I have been trying to find a copy of it, but, you know, it's like original copy. The last time it was reprinted was, you know, maybe in the 30s or something. And uh, original copies were going for, you know, hundreds of dollars. Uh, uh, that I could find. However, I found a PDF of it uh, on a site run by a an American Communist Party, or <laughs> where they had reprinted the book because it was critical of the U.S. invasion of uh, of Russia, of Bolshevik Russia during in, in the 1919-1920 period. So they had held on to it and they had print, uh, they, they made it available and it's a great book filled with horrifying details something that I will de- I will definitely put in the Iron Devil uh, there's an there was an incident uh, that Graves was was talking about where an American soldier is like you know in a train station or something or coming back to his barracks and a couple of uh, you know white Russian officers accost him um, uh, they start calling him a Bolshevik and a Jew. And uh, according to witnesses, and uh, 
he like shoves one of the Russians and they gun him down on the spot. They just shoot him full of holes. Uh, and they just walk away, go to a magistrate in the Russian courthouse, are tried and acquitted of murder in less than an hour. Jeez. No, no. And they're like, oh, rule of law applies here, you know, and you know, uh, that, so if you're wondering why they were gunning people down, why the Americans sort of took to getting a little fast on the trigger when it came to the whites, it was shit like that. And these details, you know, uh, Gray's going through sort of the, you know, his list of gripes about the, about the whites. Um, those details are golden for doing uh, any kind of game research because, again, it's stranger than fiction. I mean, uh, John Tynes, you know, is the guy I referenced for the quote, you know, when you scratch history, it bleeds weird. Yeah. And mm-hmm. the more you, the more you dig on it, the weirder, the more shocking things you're going to find. I mean, what's his name? Uh, you know, when you, uh, 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 uh Baron, uh, er, uh, was it Von Ergen Sternberg? Oh, Sternberg. You know? Oh man. The crazy the, the, son the, of a bitch. <laughs> the bloody white Baron. Yeah. Uh, you know, a German, he's like a German descended, Lithuanian or Latvian Baltic Romanov royalty, which means he's probably can trace his ancestors, the Teutonic Knights who, you know, somehow after being hit in the head by a sword during world war one, uh, goes a little funny in the head. And by the end of it, he has decided he is the reincarnated Genghis Khan and has taken over Mongolia and is got some Mongolian, the Baga, the Baga Khan or something like that, who's the local yeah. Tibetan spiritual leader who's blind from syphilis, that he's dragging around with him, planning on a giant campaign to invade the Soviet Union and purge it of all Jews, you know? And yeah, he's got swastikas. Yeah, there's, <laughs> you know, he, he took the shortcut around Hitler. This is 1922 and got his swastikas direct from the Buddhists. And it's, uh, you know, if I presented that, you know, as a character... No one would buy it. It's too over the top. Yeah. Um, you know. So uh, again, uh, the, this the thing about this research is that you keep coming across stuff that's, you know, the holy shit department. That really happened. Yeah. It, it usually it really did happen. Um, like you can't make this shit up. Yeah, when I first and, learned about him in uh, one of the uh, Charles Stross's uh, atrocity archive, not uh, I think it was the. Fuller memorandum. Uh, he's first mentioned. Uh, yeah, I was. I had to look him up. He, there's a detailed article about him on Wikipedia, and I was like, "Oh my god, this guy is crazy." Uh, there's a great book called "The Bloody White Baron" that I would recommend to anyone who's uh, uh, got any interest in uh, Ergen von Sternberg uh, or er, von Ergen Sternberg. Excuse me. Yeah, the Bloody White uh, Baron, James, written by James Palmer. I want to say I want to say Palmer John Tynes I think knows Palmer uh, in that Palmer may have been somebody who submitted material to unknown armies back in the day. Oh wow! So he's a gamer geek. <laughs> he likes his research. So there, you know, yes. goes hand in hand. <laughs> um. So yeah, I mean, and, and I, I had the same kind of thing. Yeah, like um. You know, you go back to speed tribes, like uh, reading about the the interactions between like the ultra right wing nationalists and the Akaza was actually material for like in Nice Black Agent. Part of the game is the conspiracy uh where you build a pyramid or hierarchy of like the various front organizations of the vampire conspiracy, and the players basically methodically work their way from one front organization to another. So you know, you have these ultra right wing nationalists who have interactions with the Yakuza this way, and so the players could follow the breadcrumbs all the way back to the top. 
Uh, and that was again those kind of like complex interactions. Uh, like the post- I'm going to go ahead that, yeah. uh, and say that you know when he said conspiramid, which yeah. I think is a hilarious term. <laughs> um, the problem is when you read historical conspiracies, it's it's less conspiramid and more conspirapasta. Where it's just, <laughs> trying it's to true. It doesn't never go to a point. You know, yeah. it's just this. <laughs> It's just this Gordian knot of all these guys, all with you know various uh, various agendas that just happen to coincide for 15 minutes, and now they're part of the conspiracy. Yeah, uh, that's true. I mean, if you look at the Yakuza, like the historical flowcharts, like oh, it makes no goddamn sense. Like there's just like 50 <laughs> different families, and they have ties to each other, but they're all murdering each other, and it's just insane. Uh, but. So, yeah, I mean, that's a really good source. So, like, in in general terms, like, uh, for your research methods for running games, like, Tom, like, what kind of things, aside from referring to your own personal library and checking the internet, are there any other things you've done or like to do uh, for particular games? Well, actually, uh, the game uh, Bell Island. Yeah. Yeah. That whole thing came oh, about... Oh, the Bell Island being, like, uh, li- a Liberty Ship from World War II, Liberty Ships being uh, cheaply made, quickly made freighters. Yeah, like, the, the, the record, they, they, they finished a ship from laying the keel to launch to having it ready to go in 71 hours. <laughs> yeah, I want to get on board that and get in the middle of the Atlantic. Well, That's what I want to do. Well, yeah. Like, With U-boats. It's not, yeah. it's not just that there's They, they actually said, like, you know, they welded it, and it said on some of the ships, the weldings just gave out in the cold Atlantic, and the ships literally split in two. Oh! Hopefully you know, before they put people on them. Like No. Oh. In the middle of the Atlantic. Oh, in the middle. Ooh, not right after, out of the harbor. Ouch. Uh, no. Not when they dump it in the water, dump it in, uh, uh, out of the dry dock. No, this is... You don't even need U-boats. <laughs> no. Oh well, uh, the whole idea, everything came because I was watching the History Channel, and they had a special on on Henry J. Kaiser, who basically div- built them. Yeah, and it's just watching, like, is listening to this, like he would have, like, he would have his own shipyards compete with each other. And when I heard like a ship built like that, where they're they're called Kaiser's coffins. <laughs> like not not only that adding that you're in the middle of the atlantic and u-boat infested waters like oh i gotta do something with this so yeah. that what so the for you where did you first hear about them was it just like a, a documentary or a tv or a it was a uh, documentary like okay. watching that documentary on henry j kaiser okay uh do you it was just, it was it a history channel show or was it like yeah, it fact? was on the history channel okay so you so saw that back in the day when it was still the Hitler channel and not the ice road truckers channel. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Aliens, uh, <laughs> aliens and ghosts. God damn history channel. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So you, you saw that and that sparked you. And so what, what happened next or how'd you, what, how'd you proceed next? Uh, after that, but essentially what happened to do is I had to know, okay, what do I want to put on this ship was all I had left. Okay. After I saw that, because that show gave me everything I needed, but what fucked up thing do I want to be on there besides being on a ship? Like- oh, the supernatural element. Okay. Yeah. Um, did you look, try to find like schematics of the ships? Or yeah, like- I, I looked up, and actually, they're like the full schematics of Liberty ships are easily available. I'm I'm really thrilled about the amount of deck plans you can find online these days. Yeah, uh, because everybody wants to know when you're having the fight with the monster on the, you know, the the, the tramp steamer. They want to know where the hatches are. They want to know yeah. what the, the line. Where's, uh, where's the deck gun? Yeah. <laughs> where's the deck gun? And another thing I loved about that it's, is it's you back know, in Chesapeake Bay. That's where your deck gun is. Yeah, and I love that you know you're merchant marines in this one. You're not combat soldiers. Yeah. Okay. Um, so. 
but, but essentially yeah. I had I had this I had the full schematics of the ship itself. Mm-hmm. All I had to do was just think of something supernatural to throw on it and boom, that was it. Okay. That that sounds like a very easy Yeah, I mean that's that a lot of scenarios are like that. I know uh I've run scenarios in the past where I take a specific article or something i've read and like uh that's it that's the scenario like uh for example a wired article i read about uh picker uh oklahoma uh where a town is essentially uh there's so much lead mining and in this town that or there's so much mining in this town that it's basically useless uh, or like it's a super fun site which means that you know the government's trying to clean up all the fucking wet (laughs) the government's trying to take care of it yeah, it was a major national center of lead and zinc mining, and uh, there's the groundwater's heavily contaminated. It's just you know there's all kinds of toxic mo- uh, male tiny uh, mine t- tailings there, uh, known as chat heaped throughout the area. So it's just uh, there's cavens, you know, the, the sinkholes just literally eat buildings up and that kind of thing. Uh, they're just <laughs> sinking in there, um, and so. I saw that. I was like, oh, wow, that's kind of like a post-apocalyptic thing right in the middle of the country. And so I figured – The only thing that's missing is uh, some some cage fights for scraps of food. Uh, <laughs> well, there are a couple of residents there. But what I, I thought is uh, – it actually reminded me of one sort of an underrated uh, – well, I don't know if underrated, but sort of underused story from Lovecraft, which is the mound, uh, which is sort of in the same geographic region. Uh, the mound, of course, being about – um, you know, mound build, building Indians. Uh, don't, don't, don't say that one's underused. They got plans for the mound. I know Shane Ivey wrote an article or a scenario that utilizes the mound, but I can't remember. Uh, is it? Oh, is that a spoiler alert for the upcoming Delta Green? Well, I don't know if it'll be able to make it into the uh, into the Delta Green book. Uh, it may, it'll make it into either the Unspeakable Oath or uh, into a um, you know follow-on book. But I've got uh, uh, I've got something that crossbreeds uh, the mound. Um, the movie Smila's Sense of Snow, which I recommend to anyone, uh, and um, a radio a radio show from the 1940s and 50s called uh, Quiet Please, and the particular episode is The Thing on the Forble Board, which, again, I recommend is just one of the scariest goddamn things ever. Uh, thing from the what? The Thing on the Forble Board. On the... Uh, Quiet Please is this great... Uh, horror radio program really kind of adult and uh, years ago in college I heard this radio show called The Thing Thing on the Forble Board and that is a reference to oil derricks uh, when they're put up the uh, roughnecks refer to the uh, height of an oil derrick as we know there's that platform that runs around the derrick part way up there's the single the single, the double, the treble and the forble or that's what they call the, the how they rate how high it is is how many yeah. decks it has. So the thing on the forward board uh, is uh, not Lovecraft, uh, but it's got uh, it's got some very Lovecraftian tropes in it, and uh, 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 it, it definitely also uh, it, it's you, you'll see you'll, you'll pick up the connections between it and the mound. Okay, uh, it's it's extremely scary stuff, and uh, no hearing the radio hearing the radio show won't help you. <laughs> uh, it was just inspiration, you know. It's one of these things that you get, again get stuck in your uh, in your great. And yeah. uh, I heard it the first time in like 1996 on the radio because my uh, the college radio station played old time radio. Yeah, and uh, I'm like, okay, that we're gonna sock that one away. 
Yeah, I just looked it up. It's uh, you can find downloads of it online. Oh yeah, yeah you can uh, listen to it, no problem. Uh, I'll put some links on that uh, up there. Um, one thing, uh, so yeah, so that was the the, the setting for it, and then uh, I took the mound. Uh, not as like in the mound. There's like an uh, it's sort of the Hollow Earth kind of Lovecraft's take on the Hollow Earth sort of thing. There's underground civilizations, obviously quite decadent and Cthulhu worshipping. Uh, oh sure, as they are like to do, and I put that in there. So I wanted to make it Delta Green, so I threw in the Migu. Uh, and then like you don't, excavate. You don't, have to, you don't have to throw the Migu in. I mean, yeah. the Migu are integral to uh, the mound. Yeah, and that's the, true. Yeah, that's true. They're they're opposed to each other. I think that yeah. was maybe I reread the mound and I think aha the the the, the Migo are like maybe the mining drove out the uh, underground people, so the uh, Migo are coming in there to scavenge, to dig up, excavate whatever relics they can. Um, and then I threw in one element, uh, which was uh, one gameplay concept. I, I think sometimes scenario I, I come up with scenarios because of a gameplay concept. And in this one, it was the uh, PC trader. So I had one player who was secretly a cultist, but he was uh, Delta Green thought he was a friendly, uh, you know, who was going to like, uh, you know, an informant basically. Hey, there's supernatural shit going over here. You need to send some guys to check it out. So the cultist agenda is to use Delta Green as a cat's ball to get rid of the Migu and then, like, swoop in and get rid of Delta Green and take all the relics. Uh, and the Migu are trying to, you know, defend was their... There, was, there an oppor- there was there an opportunity to operate heavy machinery? There was. The players didn't use that. Be- <laughs> well, I'm sorry. I didn't see them, maybe, Ross. Yeah. None of us saw them. Those yeah. opportunities. Yeah. Well, you didn't see it in the scenario called Operate Heavy Machinery when you are surrounded by <laughs> heavy machinery. Well, yeah, we were times. surrounded by heavy machinery, but never, never an opportunity where it really seemed like it would be useful to use it. You could have. There were many opportunities. You, you just lacked it. Well, none of us saw them. Well, just, <laughs> well, let the recriminations begin. You know, okay, if one person. <laughs> did, it's their uh, fault. If no one saw it, yeah. that's your fault. No, it's your fault. You're a terrible player. <laughs> Anyways, uh, moving on. Um, so I think uh, that sometimes with scenario design, I do like start with a gameplay. Like most of the time it is sort of like there's an idea or a setting or some sort of like, like again, the sewer grade idea. Like I see something and it kind of gestalts into, uh, into an idea for a scenario. But sometimes it's a gameplay concept. I, and, I, I agree that there are, there are ideas that like I've been, I've tried hooking up the idea that the players will play a scenario and then, you know, uh, I will take those player characters away from them and bring in the investigators and they get a different set of characters yeah. like you know that uh you know you have one group of players play the norwegian base in the thing and then the second group of players come in and play the americans you know and the from the thing and so you've got that or john carpenter's the thing to be accurate so you've got the the place that the results are the you know that they that the group of players fly in are the results of player action not GM Fiat. And I've been trying to find a way to make that work uh, in a game where I can have the players, you know, if there's any clues to be left behind, it's because the players left them. Yeah. You know? Um, I I like that idea. Uh, I've actually had the similar idea, although it would go over two game systems. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think I mentioned this to you before, um, but uh, years ago. But the idea would start a scenario with the uh, in Little Fears or Monsters and Other Childish Things or uh, New World of Darkness Innocence, where the players are all kids at an orphanage uh, being taken care of by this like religious 
you know, matriarch uh, woman and uh, things start out kind of like she's very stern and, you know, the players are new uh, to the orphanage and they're just kind of sullen. Uh, but then it becomes very clear that what goes on at night is really unnatural and the, the players need to, like, escape because the, the, the matriarch is going to, like, feed them to a monster or something horrible. They don't know what. They just need Every to once in a while she just shows up, there's a new empty bed. Last little Timmy was adopted. Yes, when? exactly. Last night. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> last night. <laughs> yeah. But when did this happen last night? Last night. night. <laughs> uh, why was there a bonfire out in the woods? What? That's not important right now. Yeah. So... Uh, so the players, well, like, you get a spanking for having been up to see the bonfire. That's yeah, what happens. It's exactly. Like, were you out of bed? Well, uh, you said you saw the bonfire. Well, I off to the woodshed. Yeah, that's <laughs> so that would be the thing. And then, um, so the players, if they investigate, they find out, obviously the, the matriarch is part of an evil cult. Um, you know, one with, uh, from Delta green countdown. Uh, Scott probably knows which one I'm thinking of. Eek, not those guys. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Jesus. Uh, it actually does specifically mention that they, they take, they, they, uh, raise orphans. They have orphan, they run orphanages when they can. Uh, so then the players, uh, escape, uh, or hopefully at least one of them escapes and then it ends with them being found by adults and the adults turn out to be Delta Green agents. Uh, so uh, then the, the, the switches over to Delta Green, the players find I can only hope I can only hope that this ends where the Delta Green agents take the, take the kid home and yeah. train them up like hit girl. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that would be up to the I, I, given player logic, I would see that happening. So. No, that, that would be the, that would be the player logic thing. They're going to train her up like uh, Hana or hit girl or, you know, one of these <laughs> child engines of death that always seem to show up and stick you know, the, they maybe they maybe they read Electra Assassin by Frank Miller, and they've decided that's the route to go. That's the parenting tact they're going to take. Uh, that that's probably it. That's someone's yeah. That's a PC origin story right there. <laughs> yep. Uh, so that was, yeah, that was, I've had an idea. So that was the idea for that. And I, I still mean to do that at some point. Um, but, uh, it just never, it always, there's always some other game to run. Um, so, but yeah, so uh, going back to our main topic, I guess, uh, a little diverging there. Um, were there any other – do you do either of you guys remember a, researching anything unusual aside from trips to missile silos or uh, – <laughs> yeah, How much more unusual do you want it to be? I, uh, I wanted to know about an insane asylum, so I got myself committed. Um, uh, that would be I, I would be impressed uh, if that's if you went to that links for games. <laughs> I, well, well I'm I could, just uh, not sure I could get yeah. out again. Or yeah. if I get a tax, if I get a tax write off for doing stuff like that. Yeah, that's true. Research like, yeah, I went to SeaWorld in San Diego to research possibly a deep one invasion of SeaWorld. That's that's stretching it, Tom. And you would still have to have, actually publish it. Do you, you guys remember the horrible coral worm? And the it was like Marineland or SeaWorld where they had this uh, they had this uh, uh, tank where the fish kept disappearing. Yeah, uh, was it the octopus getting out at night? And no, 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 no. Oh, okay. It was this. There's a kind of there's a kind of uh, undersea worm uh, that uh, you know uh, is uh, some sort of arthropod and it's got legs and stuff. So it's not really a worm. It's not a you know. Uh, it's got an exoskeleton and everything, and it's this horrible underwater sea centipede that chews in coral, actually will chew a hole through coral and bury, burrow into it, and uh, is poisonous where, it, like, you know, it's got a neurotoxin that results in 
permanent numbness, you know, if you touch it, you know, it's it's this it's this horrible Lovecraftian creature that was living in this tank. It apparently had been brought into the they brought it in because it had burrowed into a piece of coral they put in the tank. And then it would come out and eat everything in the tank and go back and you know and hide again. And it kept getting bigger and bigger until, you know, eventually it couldn't hide in the its normal places. And at one point they just took everything out of the tank to try and find it. And and what was revealed was like a 25, 26 inch long, horrible, you know, business end full of mandibles and spines, all these fucking legs. Um, yeah, that right there, that's that news story right there says, okay, yeah, there's a there is a Call of Cthulhu story in here somewhere. Where they brought something into the into the into the marine aquarium that they didn't know they brought in. Wow! You know, and that... it gets out at night and eats things and gets bigger and bigger until you know, uh, it's rampaging. Uh, you know, it's rampaging through the through the uh, aquarium. You know, um, one of my uh, goals in the future, speaking of history, is uh, is to try and do a a collection of scenarios that's all set around uh, classic Call of Cthulhu era entertainment. So something set in like a live a theater, or something set involving a radio station, oh, I or like something that. involved uh, something that involves like professional sports, like boxing or something. You know, that were the big sports back then. Yeah, uh, I don't know when aquariums start turning up. You got to have the technology to for, to handle the glass, but you know, yeah. circuses, sideshows. Um, uh, you know, things like that. You know, a World's Fair. There was an amazing. World oh, you could do a whole here. campaign set in a World's Fair. I mean, there's... there was an amazing World's Fair up here in Seattle. I, I didn't know about it, but I was in the library of the University of Washington doing uh, doing research where I was trying to get these uh, postal route maps from the 1920s so I could, you know, they're out of copyright, they're government documents, and I wanted to use them for the maps that we published in, um, uh, uh, let's see, um, not coming full circle. It was the most recent book we published, uh, Bumps in the Night. Yeah. And um, while I was there, I wandered through the uh, library, and boom, there's this giant full room display about this 1908 um, uh, the Yukon Pacific Exposition in Seattle, and about how it was held on the grounds of the University of Washington. And the land was later donated to the University of Washington. There's only a few structures left that are from the fair that are still part of the university campus. But uh, it's this giant thing that took place. Um, and, um, uh, you know, there was, a, there was a dirigible launched there. They had a guy fly over the city uh, in this sort of one-man, deer, uh, 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 more of a blimp than anything else. Uh, there were all these amazing... Uh, weird uh, uh, expositions about different parts of the world, you know, like the, the yeah. Cairo exposition. And it's all just completely done in this sort of like, you know, Scheherazade, what, um, what, 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 what white people in America think foreign places look like. You know? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but the two weirdest things in it, uh, in, in the, uh, uh, the, the exhibit was, now they, it was the human zoos, where there was, Come see a genuine uh, Eskimo village where they had brought these, you know, Inuit. Oh yeah, from yeah, yeah. Alaska to be to to build an Inuit village, and then there's a fence around it, and all the white people in their you know uh, their straw skimmers and their you know uh, bustles are wandering around looking at the the Inuits 
behind a in a cage, like something out of the, that Twilight Zone episode with Roddy McDowell. People, yeah. are, you know, uh, and uh, the, but there was also an exhibit of Filipino Islanders, where we had just taken over the Philippines, right, and uh, just fought a uh, insurgency there, and so there was a village of Filipino Islanders that was also on display. And uh, there are these newspaper articles at the at the exhibit where various editors and people were uh, haranguing the expo about the um, the Filipino Islander exhibit. They're not they're not upset that brown people have been put in a cage <laughs> for the entertainment of white people. That is not the problem. The problem is, <laughs> unlike the Eskimos, the uh, Filipino Islanders wander around in loincloths, and this could affect the women folk. Oh my God! And there's all these editorials about you know oh my goodness the women folk will be you know uh, they'll get the vapors and they'll be all hither <laughs> and that no 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 unescorted woman could attend that exhibit. Wow! Lest they become you know um, uh, engorged, shall we say? Um, oh. But the idea that there's a human zoo. I mean, because I'm thinking. All right, you know, Inuit and uh, Pacific Islanders, um, I, I figure that's where they get the two groups together. It turns out they're both Cthulhu worshippers. And they're like, you know, hey, uh, how you doing? You know, oh, you got an idol? We got an idol. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, it's, yeah, you Cthulhu Conference. Crazy together, you know, Cthulhu Con like, one. So uh, <laughs> then they start know, recruiting the white people. Uh, so you hear something like crazy from history and you're like, oh, yeah. I can work with this. I mean, so does that happen thing. a lot? Like in terms of like you find something and you just like I know you mentioned with the Delta Green email, like you just file them away uh, for later use. Uh, I mean, uh, are there a lot of ideas, uh, you know, that you just like bookmark or you do you no, do for, a lot of for research me, for potential things in the future? Or? For me, if I for me when I stumble, I mean, I'm always gonna hit, you know you know click the next link uh, yeah. if, if it's something you know when it's history or it's something uh, you know off the wall and and certainly you know. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, you, you you sign up for you know you end up signing up to to link to guys like Ken Height and Robin Laws on Facebook, and yeah, you're gonna get you're gonna get some goodies in the feed. Yeah, that's true. You know? And uh, it's going to lead to the next thing. And you know, uh, again, though the the Yukon uh, Pacific Expo, I was in the library for something completely different and accidentally found this thing. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, it, 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 you, you run across that little piece of weird history, you scratch at it, you know, <laughs> open that wound. And the next thing you know, uh, you know, the ideas will just start coming, you know, um, yeah. uh, that happens a lot. It's, 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 it's less like, I want to know about this unless I've had like a brush with it. Usually yeah. I have sort of unsolicited brush with whatever it is. I can't remember when it was, I, I sort of had that brush with the uh, underground war in World War One, the tunneling stuff. Oh, yeah. But the moment, you know, I realized that this shit existed, you know, uh, to the scale. I mean, yeah, everyone knew there were trenches, and I mean, imagine that there were tunnels, but it was at a scale that I couldn't I, – I, and the sophistication of it, I mean, with the yeah. the phone, the hearing equipment, and the just the 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 yeah, the the tunneling, the the mining done, yeah, it was. I was really impressed uh, in the game, and just just seeing the glimpse of it. Uh, Take a look at uh, Beneath Hill sixty. It's an Australian film about about the uh, Messines Ridge uh, attack. 
And uh, there's there's some guys who've been, you know, there's some characters you see with their like single digit sanity who haven't been above ground in months. Jesus. Yeah. It's like that movie Control. And- yeah. Um, oh, yeah. The uh, the Hungarian uh, Beneath Hill 60. Uh, hey, it looks like it's on Netflix. So, yes, uh, it is. So that is something to put on the list. Uh, I've actually heard of it before. I forgot. Because you said Netflix, I have to say Scarecrow Video because I have. <laughs> I'm trying to support my local super duper. Um, I know I've seen you post yeah. about it uh, on Facebook. Actually, speaking of that, Scarecrow Video. Uh, yeah, uh, that yeah, a local a well curated video store because we'll have will be better than Netflix because then it'll have things that Netflix. Oh, it, it has it has things that Netflix doesn't have. Right now, I'm working my way through something called The Adventures of Blake and Mortimer, which is a British made like 1997 cartoon where Blake and Mortimer are like uh, Mortimer is the Scottish physicist and Blake is the British intelligence officer. And they're doing all this daring do in this sort of highly fictionalized post-World War II Europe uh, where they keep running into villains who all the villains look like somebody took Stalinists and Nazis and put them in a room together, uh, took all their clothes off, and then when they put their clothes back on, it was in the dark. <laughs> so all the uniforms are like elements of commies and fascists, and you know they all have these sort of non non pindownable Middle European accents, you know, sort of a Boris Badenov. And and uh, in the first episodes of this, they found the tomb of Akhenaten, who is uh, King Tut's father and the guy who tried to bring monotheism to Egypt. The second episode, they had a super-powered supervillain charged with the mega wave um, <laughs> yeah. uh, so that he would be bulletproof and can jump off buildings and have a personal force field. Uh, the third episode, World War Three. That's right. World War Three just happens right in the middle of the episode. We'll do it live. Um, yeah. And uh, by the uh, uh, and by episode four, they went to Atlantis. They actually went and did the Roswell crash, and it was really uh, a ship from Atlantis. And they went to Atlantis, and then they blew up Atlantis by the time they're done. Um, and, Way I mean, to go, Blake and Mortimer. I, and I'm like, wait a minute. The trajectory was, you know, discovering the, the, the tomb of the pharaoh whose name was erased from history to the super-powered uh, supervillain to World War III to Atlantis. That's an upward trajectory where I'm not sure how they're how do you go? How do you top that? You know? Yeah, that but does they, seem a little uh, like. Yeah, what do you do after that? Like, I mean, yeah, they, but they honest. keep trying, and yeah. so it's sort of it's it's, it's definitely an amusing. Uh, uh, you know, and I'm not going to find that on Netflix. Yeah, you know, it's in PAL format only. I can only play it on a multi-region DVD player. <laughs> nice. Yeah. You know? Uh, so, um, Scarecrow video. If you're in the <laughs> Seattle area, go. Um, so, Tom, do you? I mean, for you, like. When you find something interesting, do you file it away or like a? It, oh yeah, I I have a I have a vast store of like a warehouse of things I've seen. Like, ooh, I should do something with that. Okay, like anything recently that you're that you in that can can we get a glimpse of this storehouse? Uh, we already have the human the human zoo. Can you can can you top that? <laughs> uh, like, man, a lot Hard of mine to follow. A lot so. of mine's based on uh, wars throughout history. Yeah. You know, like. Um, I like yeah, and it could be anything like uh, doing something with like the Battle of the Crater during the American Civil War. Mm. The Battle of the Crater. Well, why don't you Peter, tell the, the, the Petersburg Mine? Mm-hmm. 
so tell us about the Battle of the Creek. Well, it's uh, basically a, a bunch of Union- It was during the Siege of Petersburg. Yeah. Uh, Union soldiers tunneled underneath the uh, Confederate fortifications <laughs> and, then, and then put, like, tons and tons of gunpowder and explosives underneath it. And, wow. you know, blew, like, a, a several hundred-foot-wide crater... But of course, inst- and of course, they totally opened up the lines. But instead of, you know, sending in the troops, the black troops who had been preparing to, you know, attack through this crater, they say, no, 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 we want our we want our proper regiments to get the glory. So they sent in, you know, white troops who, you know, had never trained and got stuck in the crater and were just shot on moss. <laughs> Whoops. So I always kind of thought, you know, it's kind of a tunneling scenario, but, you know, you like putting explo- tunneling under some place, putting explosives and then blowing open something you shouldn't have. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, yeah, exactly. It, 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 that does seem like a, a lot of uh, potential for a scenario. Now, how would you – like what would you do? Like what genre of game would you run using that as a basis? Like would it uh, – I mean it would be like uh, – for adding Cthulhu to it, I'm not even sure how you do that unless uh, – because it's a – big thing because you i mean with historical scenarios you always want that veil of you don't want what i call i guess the inglorious bastards problem which is like <laughs> you don't want to like do this meticulously researched game where everything's perfect and then you're like no we shot hitler in a theater and set it on fire and that's how world war ii ended you no, know no, that, that, yeah. that's where that's where you congratulate your players and go oh hitler's dead well there's a quick uh, you know knife fight back in berlin yeah. and uh Himmler, Himmler doesn't. Himmler loses, yeah. uh, and somebody competent is in charge now. And oh wait, you've extended World War II by five years. Well, that's just. Well, that's <laughs> if you ran that game. Like, <laughs> you know, that, that, if a that's merciful what, GM would say they give up, but no, like. Oh uh, no 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 no! They did completely. You know, now you got somebody who's not going to be issuing insane orders, and you've extended the war. You know, that's your that's your reward for killing. Well, either Hitler. way, history is altered, and so. So like with these uh, like the Siberia game or the, even the Zeppelin game, like they, they could have happened in history because it doesn't affect like we're not we don't see news account of the, the Zeppelin plagued by invisible monsters crashing in the middle of the city. And there are hundreds of eyewitnesses. It, it, it helps that, that it helped that it's set on a Zeppelin that was burned on the ground and supposedly doesn't exist. Yeah. So I've got I can do anything with the Zeppelin. Yeah. yeah. So, like, I mean, cool. so what would you do with the Battle of the Crater? That would not, unless you're doing the alternate history work, you know, like they found ancient things at the bottom of the crater and then like giant monsters came out of it. That That's kind of easy. But uh, sorry, Tom. Well, no, it's, you know, you could, it's, you know, they, you know, the, the, it was still there after the battle was over. Okay. So I was thinking like, you know, the aftermath of that. Okay. Uh, that, oh, yeah. Uh, like the, after the, the battle's over. Yeah. Like after the battle's over. You know, think maybe you know, like you players would be like playing the Confederates who are charged with kind of cleaning up the battlefield after that. Oh yeah, well you're yes, well you're the guys who've come to uh, to cart away all the bodies and get them out of the crater because well it's yeah. you know it's a stinky crater full of bodies. Yeah, and, like, and maybe you start noticing, is it just me or are there fewer bodies than when we started? <laughs> yeah, we haven't really moved that many bodies, and yet somehow there are less corpses. Okay, yeah, I can hey, see that. Hey, where's Charlie? I could see that. Um, so well, first, what, uh, or just uh, not even be horror, but something during the burning of the Capitol during the War of eighteen twelve. Yeah, uh, that's like the closest like um, like American apocalypse you could really get to with Washington D.C. in flames. Yeah, 
yeah, there's a lot of places for that. I know, like, a city in chaos, a city struck by a disaster, whether man-made or, or, or yeah. natural, gives a lot of cover for any kinds of scenarios. I know, like, uh, Scott, you had that uh, idea for a scenario where the players are Delta Green agents hunting the DeMonte clan in New Orleans during uh, Katrina. Oh. Yeah, well, was... let me assure you that the DeMonte clan was, was absolutely in plan stages. I had already had the idea back in, like, 2002 yeah uh and it, you know to suddenly find, then then katrina shows up and i'm like well that changed the scenario completely <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hello um, game changer yeah, yeah um it's like you know it'd be it'd be like you know again you know the <laughs> you know that little problem that the guys at game designers workshop had with twilight 2000 <laughs> when the soviet <laughs> union just went poof you know <laughs> disappeared from the world stage it's like ah Oh, it's going to be a little tough making this Cold War apocalypse happen if we yeah. don't have any Soviets. Um, slightly, slightly. Uh, yeah, uh, I, give give the give the guys at uh, give the guys at um, uh, God who was it Black Island Studios or whoever it was who did uh, Fallout. You know, they they were smart enough way back then to switch up to the Chinese. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, which you know, uh, for their uh, retro apoc- retro future apocalypse. Which there's a mouthful, but uh, yeah, there's stuff like that will overtake you. And it's one of the things that's making me sweat bullets right now, trying to write the Delta Green stuff. Is I know that everything I'm writing is going to be wrong in five years. Yeah, the the, sooner. I mean, that's giving myself a lot of credit. It's going to be wrong in two years. The Um, war, the war on terror, the national security state is kind of much more fluid than the the forces. Uh, of the, the industrial military complex of the Cold War. I mean, yeah. it went from like the beginning to Afghanistan, and then we would go into Iraq, and now we're pulling out, and now we're going, we're switching from ground forces to drone strikes. Uh, the WikiLeaks and Snowden document reveals have changed the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there's a lot. And then, of course, you know, now, oh, we're spying on our allies during trade summits, and now we're doing this. Of course we are. Why wouldn't we be? Uh, so, yeah. The, yeah. The, so that, the, that the, I can the, see the, how that, that would be that would be problematic. So it's kind of hard to write, even generalize because well, I, that, I hate to say it's why I really enjoy writing in the classic Call of Cthulhu period between, you know, uh, World <laughs> War I and World War II because, uh, you know, it's nailed down. It's not as slippery. You know, I can, I absolutely know the start date, the end date. I know where this army was. I know where it's going to be. I know where this national border is and where it's going to be. That really is that, that's, that gives a certain amount of security, uh, when you're writing and it, it helps to know that you can, you know, you can take a, you can take history into account and, uh, it won't turn it on you and bite you like current events will. That's true. Um, I know. Uh, I mean, for me, I like running in the modern day scenarios, but I don't. Usually, I do it from the point of view of civilians or low level Delta Green agents or something like that. So I don't have to worry about larger policy ramifications, or I have that kind of luxury. I just like. Oh yeah, that that stuff should never be the kind of yeah. thing that players uh, should yeah. get into, uh, it, because once they're at that level, at least in Delta Green, in my humble opinion, yeah. you get up to that level where you're having lunch with Alphonse. Um, yeah. Uh, it's too, you, you, there's, there's too many veils have been removed. There's too, yeah. you've got too many answers. Um, the, the, you know, we're, we're trying to make you feel uncomfortable and, uh, uh, you know, adrift and at a loss for what to do and not knowing, you know, what the, what, what, what is a moral or an immoral decision, you know? Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, it turns more into XCOM at that point, and which uh, would be a great game. I'm not saying a that's different, not yeah. a bad game. Yeah, but, but it's a different one, not the one you're trying to do. Yeah. Um, I mean, for me, uh, uh, like in terms of going back to like the files, I mean, there's there was recently there are some games. I, I wish I had found out about certain material before I'd ran it. Like uh, recently, I ran a game set in the New York subway system um, because I managed to visit New York in October and got to see the subway system firsthand and all the other stuff. And I wanted to, and I've always been interested in urban exploration and that kind of thing. And so I ran a game of Base Raiders uh, set in the Thomas Tom was in it. And uh, the whole premise was like, uh, you're, dri- you're civilians on the subway, mo- robots attack, you have to escape, you find a supervillain base, you take superpowers to not die. Uh, and, and it went from there. And I'd done some research on the depths and like uh, like what what kind of where the tunnels go and that kind of thing. Uh, but just after I run the game, right after I run the game, I find this article in Gizmodo <laughs> uh, about the lost cow tunnels of New York City. Yeah. Uh, and uh-huh. yeah, I saw that. And I was like, you son of a bitch. That's where that supervillain base should have been is the fucking goddamn lost cow tunnels, because that would be easy to explain. <laughs> and for the people who aren't aware of that, the cow tunnels are basically um, they're sort of mythical. They, they haven't been totally proven or disproven. And the idea is that in the um, the 19th century, um, the before cars had taken over the roads before refrigeration. Before refrigeration, the roads of Manhattan were being in the meatpacking district back when it was about meatpacking. It was like cow jams like they would have they had to get so many cows into the 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 butchers uh and they that they they blocked the roads and no one else could go by and so their response was to build underground tunnels that they could take from the railroad uh rail yard to the butchers and uh, of course, eventually these tunnels were lost to time, were bricked up and put away. Uh, they're listed on some schematics and that kind of thing, and they're pretty uh, – but that would have been the perfect – but they're obviously not in use now. So uh, that would be the perfect place for – if you were a supervillain and you wanted to build your base under Manhattan, hey, that's a great place to start. Uh, not, not to mention you can always throw in the the, the recurring joke of it's a bit du- it still smells a bit dungy. <laughs> yeah, know? exactly. Petrified cow uh, dung. A, yeah. a century later, it's still a little dungy down there. Um, uh, uh, which would cover up you know the scent, chemical stench of whatever super soldier drug. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, because them super soldiers they're rank. <laughs> we haven't quite figured out a way to get over that problem. <laughs> uh, smells but, like victory. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then another one I just read about uh, yesterday was um, uh, about the, the the construction process for the new uh, tomb for the Chernobyl reactor for the Chernobyl oh, yeah. sarcophagus, yeah, which is yeah. this um, a three hundred. It's a two billion dollar project. It's taken ten years uh, to build this massive three hundred foot. Um, arc basically this 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 covering uh to further protect the uh, sarcophagus of the chernobyl reactor and the reason why it's taken so long is not because of incompetence it's because like oh you've been welding for two hours you need to leave for the day like you're done for the month you know like you yeah yeah exactly the, 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 they can only work in these micro shifts yeah 
and it's very uh very hard to do uh it's actually i found that on gizmodo as well because the guy who ran the excellent blog building blog has taken over as head editor of gizmodo so if you're interested in weird architectural shit he indulges you pretty pretty easily uh pretty uh so yeah so those are some of the things that i i would do so like for me like sarcophagus uh, chernobyl reactor for me i'm obviously in more in a base raiders oh, the, the, whole, the whole pripyat um yeah. you know dead zone yeah. is one of these places where it's the modern age and yet there's this sort of uh, inaccessible you really shouldn't be there place yeah. In the middle of civilization that's just, you know, you know, I, I don't know how they guard entry or exit because I keep seeing things about people who will drive their motorcycles through yeah, uh, through it because there's no traffic so they can get up to 150 miles an hour or whatever. Um, uh, you know, um, but it's this, yeah, it's just, it, you know, it's, it's no wonder they made a couple of horror movies set. And in, games yeah. and yeah. Uh, like, yeah. And one thing they have to do is like, they actually aren't building it on the reactor itself. They're building it a few thousand feet away from reactor four. And then they're they're They've installed rails to just slide it into place when it's done. Oh, uh, my God. so that's, that's their solution, which it's actually pretty ingenious. Here's uh, one. Here's here. Cause again, Russia has been, you know, the, <laughs> the leading country for fucked up shit since 1917. <laughs> I mean, you know, sure, the Germans pulled ahead in the 40s, but really, the Russians always seem to overtake Hey, them. you have Tunguska. Well, Tunguska was, what, 1908? 19... 1908 is, is yeah. when it goes yeah. off, but they don't even get out there to poke it until the 20s. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, well, so it's not important in an area. Yeah, clear, clearly, nothing's gone wrong. Well, they're, uh, to be fair, they're kind of distracted they're, they're yeah. by various things. Well, I'm actually convinced that, and I wrote an article for the H.P. Lovecraft uh, Film Festival because they were doing some. They were showing uh, Der Farbe, which is the German version of the color. Yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, there's a German version of the color out of space, shot in black and white. The only color in the film is when the color shows up. Um, but it was set in Germany, and uh, one of the nice things about it is, is that they are able to stretch the story out over a long period of time because the war interrupts the story. That the character who you know is the observer, uh, who uh, uh, let's see, Amy, I can't remember Amy's last name, who is the the observer of the farm that is destroyed, who, who, who sees his friends destroyed by the color. Um, he gets drafted into the Wehrmacht. And, and so part of the story is, you know, he's off to the war and then it's 1945 and he's schlepping his way back to his farm, wearing the remnants of his, you know, Wehrmacht uniform and having to deal with the U S occupation forces who are like, okay, let's see your identity card, check him for an SS tattoo, you know, uh, make sure he's, you know, been denazified. Um, it's really pretty good. And it's really low key and subtle. Um, one of my favorite bits is they show the farm in winter and nobody says shit in the movie, but there's this giant area around the farm. There's no snow. (laughs) All the snow is landed around it, but on the farm, there's no snow because the color raises the temperature. It's presence melts it off and they don't say anything. They just show it. And you're just like, Hmm. If you don't, if you don't pick it up too damn bad, they're not going to explain it to you. Yeah. But it's not, but for that, I had to write an article, you know, they wanted me to write something and I, uh, about, um, you know, related to that. And I was, uh, I suddenly realized what Tunguska was. Tunguska was not something falling to earth. That's why there's no meteorite fragments. That's why there's no crater. Tunguska was a giant color leaving. 
Oh, oh, I got gotcha. you. Yeah. Nice. Uh, the the area that they discover in the twenties that their blasted heath with all the trees knocked down that was its launch point. And we can only hope that there's not a larger one <laughs> somewhere else that's incubating in the earth, um, like under Chicago or something. Yeah, yeah, some place that it landed millennia ago, and any time now it'll be going off. And uh, we were just lucky this one went off in the middle of Siberia, as opposed to you know Boston Common. But anyways, um, uh, I don't know. That, that's that's there's my Colorado space. <laughs> but uh, uh, but there's another thing I read in this article called the bioweaponeers that turned up uh, in a, a news magazine like the New Yorker, I think it was, and it uh, had all this stuff about a guy named Ken Alabeck, who which is his, his anglicized name after he defected. He was the number two guy at Biopreparat, which was the Soviet bioweapons program uh that was active right up until the end right up until you know the fall of the soviet union it was active and you know he told stories about you know all these horrible viruses uh uh which is a the gentle sister of ebola uh the the, uh they got a hold of that they weaponized it with something called to to a they refined it to something called mardberg variant u which stood for Ustinov or Dr. Ustinov, who was accidentally stabbed by some of it by a lab assistant and proceeded to dissolve. <laughs> oh, the I think Marienberg, um, Kenneth Height used that uh, as one of the vampire types in Night's Black Agent as an example. Mardberg is, Mardberg is a hemorrhagic fever yeah. uh, that, that's, that's uh, uh, you know, it gets its first mention in... Um, Oh, I can't remember the name of the book. So uh, it's, it's one of the first books that came out about uh, about um, the hot zone. That was it. It was in the book The Hot Zone. It describes a French mining engineer in Zaire who dies of Mardberg. And yeah. there's a Mardberg outbreak at the hospital because everybody who treated him gets it. Um, and it, again, is the – again, it's the slow version of Ebola. It's the gentle sister of, of Ebola. <laughs> but um, the Russians made all these horrible weaponized products uh, for, for uh, bioweapons. My favorite was uh, virus uh, dispersal uh, equipment designed to look like luggage so you could leave it in an airport. Wow. Yeah. And it, would, it would hit everyone going through the airport. Um, and uh, one of the things they talked about was – that the Soviets had conducted open-air bioweapon testing on condemned prisoners. And they had done this on an island in the Aral Sea. Uh, the name of the island, as if this wasn't fucked up enough, was Rebirth Island. <laughs> <laughs> Man. You that's... know, that's fucked up enough. Now, are you guys familiar with the Aral Sea? Uh, is that the one that's currently like vape, evaporating? Uh, yeah, it's the one where they, 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 they the the two uh, big rivers that run into it. And I actually got to see those rivers when I was in um, when I was in Uzbekistan. Uh, the two big rivers that flow out of the uh, uh, the Himalayas are like Mississippi-sized rivers, but the Soviets have been have been damming them and pouring the water into the desert to grow cotton. You know, in, yeah. in, in nothing for so long, it cut off the water to the Aral Sea. And so it's been evaporating for years. And you got these great photographs of the Aral Sea where there are these ships 
this what used to be fishing ships and trawlers that are just laying on their sides. Yeah. No, the see, I actually set uh, one of the games of uh, Heroes of New Arcadia in the URLC. It's uh, like in a big apocalyptic confrontation with the Galactus uh, knocked off I used for the second tier of the campaign. I remember that now because I remember the, the players used those ruined ships as cover from the well, uh, <laughs> Re- Rebirth Island was in the RLC and it's like, well, it's totally blocked off. It can't, you know, we don't have to worry about it. It's too far away for like, you know, it was supposedly, you know, they, they never calculated for birds. That always made me a little nervous that yeah. you know, birds could fly over to it, but they're like, you know, no, nah, it's fine. You know, it'll be whatever. We're, we're in Moscow. We're going to ignore the problem. But as the RLC starts to evaporate, the Island start, the shore is moving towards the Island. And the island is getting bigger, and eventually it's going to be a peninsula, and then whatever is on Rebirth Island and has been there alone since the 70s <laughs> is going to walk ashore. Wow. That, yeah, man, if you don't and use that, it. That, and that went in the swipe file. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I think it's I ever, yeah, definitely now. Like, I think will I'm I ever get to Rebirth Island. God, I hope so because we could do a whole uh, book of just different interpretations of what happens on Rebirth Island. Like, I say, uh, my my guess is that Rebirth Island is where uh, the Soviets attempted the Divine Fire uh, experiments after they overran the German facility. Oh yeah, and then yeah. you know the whole story about open air bioweapons testing that was just a cover to convince people they shouldn't go there. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, because the Soviets took it over in the second ver- second part of the game. Yeah, so they they did the open air experiment. You know, that that's just a cover story to keep people from going to Rebirth Island and poking the eye of Azathoth <laughs> or whatever's there. You know, nice. we couldn't close the gate, so we surround it in concrete, sort of like <laughs> Chernobyl. Nice. Yeah, uh, so let's go shake hands with Azathoth while we're there. It'll be fine. <laughs> It'll be fine. It's fine. So. Um, before we, I think this, 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 we, on, on that note, uh, f- finality, um, are there any final tips for other GMs who are researching games? Like what kind of, what uh, it, common do's and don'ts, uh, for, I mean, for me, um, there is it like going back to my tribes of Topia thing there, there, you can go too far if you lose your players, but on the other hand, you're running the games for your own satisfaction as well. So don't like don't use that don't use the players as an excuse to not try to be authentic or accurate but on the other hand don't be so pedantic that it bogs down a game if you can't find something or if you if the players try to do something that seems logical but you know oh for historical reason why they can't do this or blah 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 just they're not supposed to be a hundred percent simulationist right yeah it's all the service of the game it's for your enjoyment and for the players themselves so try and find a balance between Awesomeness gonna, versus accuracy, I guess. Then it's going to vary from group to group. We we enjoyed we were playing in uh, uh, the um, scenario in Bumps in the Night, uh, uh, the un, un, Unquiet Mind, where it's the it's the Carrie meets Terry Shivo, where yeah. it's you know the 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 brain dead psychic telekinetic threat is wrecking the neighborhood. And there was a period of time in this era we wanted to communicate with her. It's like, all right, she's in a coma, but she's psychic. Maybe we can go get Scrabble letters. And since she's telekinetic, she can move them around and to, can, to communicate with us. And there was an amusing moment where we discovered just because somebody said, let's look it up on the internet. Oh, wait, they haven't invented Scrabble yet. 
there's no such thing as Scrabble tiles, you know? So we're like, God damn it, go get some letter blocks. That was amusing to us, but, you know, um, other groups of players, I'm not sure I would inflict that on them if they, somebody said, I got a great idea, let's go, get a game. let's go get some Scrabble tiles and see if she'll move them around the community, or the ghost will do it, you know? Yeah. You know, or maybe, I guess in 1925, they could have gotten a Ouija board with a planchette or something, you know? Yeah, uh, that's what I would you. have gone, yeah. But, um uh, you know, something like that. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily stand in the way of a good idea, even though, you know, even though, oh no, it's not historically accurate, you know? Yeah. Um, and it depends on what kind of game you're playing, you know? I mean, uh, uh, as far as do's and don'ts on research, I always start with the internet and end in a book. Um, the, the internet is, is, you know, filled with all kinds of marvelous disinformation. Um, this is true. Uh, and some of it's gameable and just cause it's wrong doesn't mean it's not gameable. I mean, yeah. you know, um, I mean, the lost cow tunnels are still somewhat apocryphal at this point. They're, they yeah, haven't conclusively and, yeah. proven them or not. Those are, I mean, especially for my game, it's a superhero game. So like, yeah, they're going to be in uh, there. there. There's something from creepypasta that's been making the rounds, the Russian sleep experiment, which, oh, you know, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I find to be almost good writing, and then it fails on a number of ways. It just completely yeah. craps out. Um, but it's got a lot of good material in it. Um, people have, you know, of course, put it forward as it's it's a hundred percent real. I swear, I'm a I'm on the internet. It has to be real. <laughs> uh, that doesn't mean you can't game it. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't mean you can't it, it can't make for excellent gaming uh, material. But I uh, but I I do have a tendency to start on the internet uh, on Wikipedia. Uh, and then, uh, you know, uh, muddle around until, you know, I can go, okay, let's go find some books on the subject too. Um, never underestimate the power of your public library. Um, uh, never underestimate the, uh, you know, the power of, uh, of, of project Gutenberg too, you know, there's all kinds of good stuff that you can find for free. Um, one thing that I found, um, Earlier this year, I read Grimoires by Owen Davies. Uh, oh, what a marvelous book! I know, right? It's it's a book about it's a history of the book of like books of magic, like describing you know their sources and everything. And what I one of the things I, I know I mentioned this before. In the and podcast. they're such crumb bums. All these wizards are just yeah. these crumb bums. There, it, it's like all those new age self help books that you see today, like and all those prosperity gospel books are just right in the tradition of grimoires. It's like get money, get sex, get power. Like that's all they are. Is they're just quick easy get fixed that's why they're, they're so popular throughout the ages but a number the of these grimoires especially the, 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 the necromancy to find buried treasure yeah exactly like i'm <laughs> just asking ghosts yeah. will know where treasure is of course they well will. you need well you need the grimoire to 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 uh fight off or banish you need to summon angels to defeat the ghosts that guard the treasure that's why you need the grimoire i mean oh okay <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh like that's sound advice. It saved my life more than once. <laughs> so, like, at one point, I remember Grimoire's Ben Franklin is bitching about all these ass, like peasants going, or laborers going around digging up holes to find treasure, like they, instead of like going to work. Um, <laughs> like our, our get, grumpy founding fathers, yeah. But what I, what I like, um, the reason we bring up Project Gutenberg, um, it's either Gutenberg or archive.org, or I think both of them. Archive.org is, of course, you know, companion site to, to Gutenberg where they scan in public domain books and you can just find them. Uh, like the sixth or seventh book of Moses is on there. And there are other, or like, especially early 20th century grimoires are on 
these sites as PDFs and they make great handouts or sources for handouts for like Cthulhu. Like if you want like someone to look at a copy of the evil book or more that the wizard in the call of Cthulhu game is using, like you can get some of the, the nonsense symbols and text from the sixth or seventh book of Moses and change, you know, Gabriel, the angel names into Cthulhu names. And like, there you go. Uh, you have a, a, an evil wizard spell. Um, yeah, so I think that's again another re- uh, useful resource. So, um, but so Tom, do you have any uh, tips? Or... Uh, actually, um, I often carry like a little tiny, uh, little tiny notebook with me. Yeah, because I never know when I'm going to just happen across something. You know, like some sh- some like some History Channel thing I'm just flipping through, or yeah, some or some random link. I, I really, I really should do that. That's a good idea. But yeah, it's, and I need to write down because I'm going to forget this in like five minutes. Yeah, uh, I mean, and yeah, that's definitely a good point. Uh, and if you're you're more tech oriented, there are programs that do that now. Like I know Evernote's is really popular with some people for note taking, um, and that syncs with like all your like with, not with your smartphone, but with your uh, the, your PC and everything like that. Uh, so yeah, definitely some way to take notes uh, rapidly. At any time, because you never know when you'll stumble upon something, especially if you're not at home. Uh, but yeah, that's a really good idea. So, um, I, uh, it's, there's things I've heard that I don't know what I'm going to do with it, but just, like when I heard about the molasses flood in Boston, 1918. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Or like, it's like, oh, I don't know what the fuck to do, but I want to do something. Yeah, I mean, exactly. people died. There's yeah, a, a lot of people died. People yeah. are dying in a flood of molasses. For fuck's sake! How if you wrote that, no one would. It would people would say. People would say, "Well, you broke my suspension of disbelief." This is a terrible Adam Sandler comedy. I don't like yeah. it at all. <laughs> I mean, even for his standards, like that's just not funny. Uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah. I mean, that's a good point. Um, definitely be ready to to seize on inspiration whenever it, whenever it strikes. So, uh, hopefully that uh, gave you guys, uh, all you listeners out there, some uh, uh, ideas for historical research and or ideas for specific games. Feel free to swipe whatever we talked about because uh, who knows what we'll, any of us will get to writing uh, from our our inspiration file. Large uh, files get larger and larger. And besides, uh, even if you do swipe it, we'll just write it ourselves and do it. Yeah, like I said, we should do a whole book at some point of just like the same historical event, just different interpretations of it. It'd be like an exquisite <laughs> corpse, uh, like Rebirth Island. Like I could, I could, we could all come up with a radically different way of doing it. You know, Tom could do the Divine Fire. Uh, I'll do something Carcosa inspired, and uh, you can uh, do something. Well, I'm sure it'll be horrifying, whatever it is. Uh, and together we'll take on the mob. Yeah, uh, <laughs> together we'll the crime. Uh, all right. So uh, with that, uh, this episode will not have shout out. Then our, our we'll have an episode coming up pretty soon with uh, shout outs uh, and uh, for our holiday gift guide and uh, anecdotes and that kind of thing and some listener letters. So uh, this is Ross Payton with this RPPR episode 95, Historical Histronics with Tom Church and Adam Scott Glancy. Catch you next time. Talk to you guys later. Bye, Come to us.